0: world's best. Carlson. Carlson, 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 hoi, här kommer Carlson, 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 Carlson. ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, det är så bra som mig. Carlson, 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 Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson! Everybody! Yeah, that's another that's episode that's of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best and longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who'd be very happy to help the Ottawa Senators reach the cap floor if they wanted to hire a couple of team podcasters. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is my good friend, the fantasy hockey robot and the Poopah prognostication, and the guy who's going to help me break
1: down all the craziness of the past couple of weeks, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And boy, does it feel good to have some fresh, hot news to deliver fresh, hot takes upon for the show. And Elon, true story, you had prepped this entire show as you normally do. You'd, you'd put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And we actually pushed our recording start time back by an hour, uh, soon after you did that. And good thing we did because about one hour ago, Taylor Hall signs with Buffalo. So we're ready to hit that already. We're going to get to that. There's no deadline uh, for keeping Carlson live shows. So uh, I can't wait to break down Taylor Hall and all the other free agent frenzy freneticness That has been going on over the last uh, 72 hours or so.
0: Yeah, imagine if we just started the show and then we started seeing messages in the chat room of like Hall to Buffalo and be like, wait, what? Okay, stop everything. But no, we're ready to go. I think even though, who knows, maybe Petrangelo is going to sign with Las Vegas while we're recording this show. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I guess Brian said we're going to cover everything just to like set the table here. We're going to cover a lot. I don't think we're going to cover everything, but don't worry. We have more shows still coming. Uh, Hoffman, Dadanov, Petrangelo still unsigned. There was also a draft. Brian, uh, last week a lot has happened. Uh, So we're not going to cover that, but we're working on getting a draft episode for you guys where we'll get some expert and we'll discuss, you know, all the picks and who's going to make an impact soon versus later. So we'll get to all that. But today we're just going to cover some of the biggest news of the last couple of weeks in terms of trades, signings. And if you want more than just hearing from us, of course, you've got to check out the site that we're presented by, DauberHockey.com. They've been churning out the fantasy impact articles for every single trade. They break it down. They talk about the players. or or a signing, you know? And then they, what I really love is right at the end, they do a summary where you see, like, which players does this help, which players does this hurt, which is really all I care about, right? (laughs) If it's not my team, I just care about what's the fantasy impact, and that's what Dobber Hockey's giving you all the time. Check it out, dobberhockey.com. But Brian, I guess, here we go. Uh, And yeah, like you said, let's start with the move that just happened an hour ago. Uh, Taylor Hall has signed a one-year, $8 million contract with the Buffalo Sabres. And this is, like a pretty weird thing to happen, right? Because we would have expected Taylor Hall, this big name, finally gets to go to UFA after, you know, he was on Edmonton, he gets traded to New Jersey, then he gets traded at the deadline to Arizona. you think finally he gets to choose his team that he's going to spend the rest of his career with. But no, he signs a one-year deal. And we'll have to talk about the implications of that because on one hand, we could be like, wow, this is huge for a bunch of players. You know, Jack Eichel gets to play with Taylor Hall, Rasmus Dalin gets to play with Hall. But at the same time, like, how long is it going to last? I know there's a no-trade clause on the deal, but that just means taylor hall gets to choose whether or not he gets traded obviously if buffalo stinks next year which hopefully with this trade they won't but if they're not looking like a playoff team he could be finding his i guess fifth team uh, come the trade deadline then his sixth team next summer so brian like before we get into the you know fantasy impact here like what do you think about hall signing a one-year deal like this was this anything you were expecting or i, I just feel like we haven't seen this before with such a big name
1: it's a really weird moment. I mean, sometimes you see this with an older player, right, who's just ready like Joe Thornton, who's ready to take his, the the twilight of his career just one year at a time, seeing what he's ready for and leaving all options open. Uh, But Taylor Hall, this was not expected. This was a a moment for him to cash in, and he did. I don't think we're going to see anybody uh, right now sign for anything more than $8 million. So maybe this was the only way he could get that number, get paid that much for his work this year, is by signing only a one-year commitment. And honestly, I think it's not a bad of course, it's not a bad bet by him on himself at all. Everybody knows what Taylor Hall is worth. It's just a weird time where a uh, few teams are in any position to make a substantial commitment because of COVID and revenues being down and just like all that's unknown. So, uh, So good for him for betting on himself. And honestly, it's a pretty good situation for Taylor Hall himself. I I think our first inclination is to look around and see who on Buffalo benefits from this, but Think about the implications for Taylor Hall, who was just on a 65-point pace last year. So now he gets to play with Jack Eichel and get this, like, redo at going into uh, unrestricted free agency again next year. Not that I've ever been worried about Taylor Hall. Like I was saying, everything under the hood has looked fine for him, Uh even last year when he was just on that 65-point pace. But he got hit by pretty bad variants, including a power play shooting percentage that was just around 5% and low shooting percentages at five on five too. So uh, I'm a big Taylor Hall fan. I think this is like an exciting thing. It's great when we're starved for news to have so much to chew on like nobody. Nobody saw this coming, although there's that Hall-Kruger connection. So we'll see uh, if this was a move uh, that is going to be a lasting one in Buffalo. I imagine Jack Eichel would hope so. He was unhappy that Buffalo didn't seem to be putting together a contender. So now maybe that's helpful to him. Maybe it's also helpful to him uh, to end his his desire to stay with the team that even if Hall doesn't stay, uh, Buffalo pretty much just put down $8 million to have either Taylor Hall in the future or, or an inside track at that or to just get whatever assets can be, uh, acquired for taylor hall at the deadline like maybe eight million dollars is a decent price to pay for like a first a second and a good prospect or whatever it is that taylor right. hall can fetch in a trade so i am uh i'm really interested to see where this goes i think this is going to be a very fun one-year storyline of course i've already seen beat writers in montreal and edmonton mentioning how their cap space and flexibility just opens up next year so if Taylor Hall really is interested in coming to play in Edmonton and Montreal maybe that's why he only did a one-year deal because that's where he wants to go and he he, they can't do it for him now so he might as well just bide his time until he can go to his truly desired destination
0: I mean yeah I know you're speaking tongue-in-cheek there but yeah it is like I said we might be talking about Taylor Hall going to his sixth team next summer but for now let's focus on team number four the Buffalo Sabres and yeah You'd think, like, the Sabres, they were bad last year. They didn't even make it to the play-in round. But, you know, on paper, at least, this doesn't look so bad, right? You've got a top six here. I'm going to throw out some potential lines. i say Hall, Eichel, and Olofsson. Then maybe Reinhardt plays with Eric Stahl, whomever they just traded for recently, and Jeff Skinner. That's, like, six... Names like generally very fantasy relevant names all of a sudden there for a, for a solid top six. You got Dylan Cousins, who is a prospect that people are excited about that might be starting next year. So that might be the start of even an okay depth in the bottom six. On defense, you've got Rasmus Dalin, who we were already expecting to have a breakout next year. How great is it for him and for Hall to have each other? Like Hall's basically upgraded his center and he's upgraded his like big minute and top power play defenseman from OEL to Dahlin. So I feel like this just makes me more excited about Dalin for next year. Brian, I bought a Dalin young guns card and now i'm very excited to see its value go up i promise i won't do too much hockey card uh talk on this podcast but you do get excited when you see all this move and you wonder what's the value of the cards but okay uh i'd say so yeah good news for guys like obviously hall like you said i think eichel like dalene i guess the bad news if you want to look at who gets hurt by hall coming up The one name that jumps to mind is Victor Olofsson, right? Because I feel like he made so much hay on the power play, being the trigger man, right? And maybe they keep things that way. Like, obviously, we can't predict how the power play is going to shake out next year. But I feel like they now have a very good other option to have uh, Taylor Hall on the half wall to be taking those shots. And then I don't even know if Olofsson, maybe he sticks on the top power play, but goes in front of the net or does a different job. Or maybe he gets bumped from the top power play completely. Maybe they decide, okay, now that we have Hall, why don't we have a great PP2 with Ristolainen and Olofsson on there? so you know, obviously good for the Sabres, but maybe uh, Victor Olofsson becomes a little less exciting. Though I wonder, Brian, now this is like already like maybe thinking too too many steps ahead. I wonder if this makes Olofsson a good like mid-season buy low if the Sabres suck and if Olofsson has been bumped from the top power play, then whoever drafts him will get frustrated, drop him, but then Hall gets traded at the trade deadline. Then you go and add Victor Olofsson and all of a sudden he's like a big late-season steal or someone you trade for. But anyways, just, I don't know, so many things like come to mind like that. But yeah, I think Olofsson's the one who, I guess. I guess the other guy is maybe like Eric Stahl is someone who I thought might get on the top power play when he got acquired you know because Marcus Johansson remember he was on the top power play and he was traded for Eric Stahl so I thought that would just make sense maybe Olafsson stays and now Hall takes uh you know that fourth forward spot that Eric Stahl was slated for so I'm a little less excited for guys like Stahl and Olafsson, though maybe Stahl it sort of evens out because he's now going to get a guaranteed good winger, right? Either he gets Taylor Hall or he gets whoever Hall bumps from the top line, be it Olafson or Reinhardt or something like that. So overall, yeah, maybe just kind of bad for... Olafson, but overall mostly good because when, when a team gets Taylor Hall, I think it's generally going to be good and yeah, the team, by the way maybe they're not going to be so bad because I've mentioned this good top six on defense, like, they have Dalin, they have Ristaline. don't forget they have Henry Yokiharu, who people like uh, Brandon Montour was just extended uh, they have, I don't know, Colin Miller, like, they have names but they have Linus Allmark in Nets who had a really strong end to the year uh, maybe they pull a Schneider midway if Carter Hutton isn't cutting it you know, they could wave him, just like New Jersey d- waved Schneider last year, bring up Uko Pekka Like so theoretically, they could have strong D or at least strong enough D Uh, good forwards good goals like what else do you need maybe this team actually could be a playoff contender or maybe I'm just like convincing myself just because I'm too excited about the signing
1: it would be, uh, so, I mean, we've been excited about Buffalo before and our excitement was premature, but now uh, that top six in Buffalo looks good. The rest is not terribly strong, but with Cousins coming up, and, you know, uh, Cody Eakin is not an awful guy to have as your 3C. So, Buffalo, if not a slime dunk contender, now has become one of the most intriguing teams to watch next year, which is funny because if I'm remembering right, that's what Hall did to New Jersey when he joined them too. They were just like an interesting team all of a sudden. And just adding this one this one extra piece that can be a huge difference maker uh, could be enough to take them from interesting to a contender. So it'll be a lot of fun to see. I I agree with a lot of your takes on how this impacts the rest of the lineup's fantasy value. We have a lot of uh, chatter in the chat right now about how uh, they're hearing Reinhardt might be dropping down to the second line. So that would be good for Olofsson if that happened. Uh, then it would be Reinhardt, Stahl, and Skinner. So that would also be helpful for uh, Stahl, right? Who would have a, a top-notch uh, winger still to play with him. Not that Skinner and Olofsson can't be a top-notch winger. However, uh, Reinhardt is definitely a better bet. And of course, if if Olofsson does jump back up to the top line to play with Eichel and Hull, that helped sort of uh, to mitigate whatever he loses from being potentially bumped off the top power place. So there's so many moving pieces and things could still move, but between now and January 1st, right? Which is the earliest the season's about to start. So we're not going to get too deep into it, but it is of course like fun. Like you can, yeah. I, I hear your wheels turning Elon and like, I'm shaking off the rust in my brain too. It's so much fun to have these thoughts and conversations again. It's been
0: a while. Yeah, this is definitely gonna be a team to watch in training camp, right? Like we're gonna be so excited to follow the lines of the Sabres when that happens. Uh, Some funny comments in the chat here. First of all, Shams brought up how, you know that Jeff Skinner is getting paid more than Taylor Hall. (laughs) Like Skinner just last summer got a 9 million for what, seven years deal. So now I mean, Taylor Hall is wishing he was UFA just one year ago. And then uh, another interesting comment is Alex pointed out that he thinks that Dylan Cousins might be getting himself into the top six before too long. Maybe all of a sudden Jeff Skinner, you know, maybe it's not a good situation for Jeff Skinner. He has another person to compete with. He was already having trouble like sticking into meaningful deployment and now Taylor Hall is there as another piece that could get in his way. Uh, So we'll see how that shakes out. And Brian, we just unfortunately got to keep moving. I feel like we could talk about this for a while, but let's keep the train rolling. We've got a million other things to discuss and let's go to the team that drafted Taylor Hall first overall back in 2010, the Edmonton Oilers, who... Okay, they don't have Taylor Hall anymore, but they also brought in a ringer on a one-year deal, and we'll see if it's a ringer or if it's someone who sticks, in Tyson Barry, who they signed for a one-year $3.75 million contract. So kind of a value deal to get Tyson Barry, who's just a couple years... Uh, removed from being a 60-plus point guy on the Avalanche. Obviously last year didn't look as great on the Leafs, though, to be fair, I've been seeing a lot of tweets like break, like break, working out how like Barry's main bad stretch on the Leafs came at the start of the year when Mike Babcock was the coach, and Barry had no goals and 7 points in 23 games for only a 25-point pace, but then when Sheldon Keefe took over, if you recall, Barry got on the top power play, and he ended the year with 32 points in his final 47 games. That's a 56-point pace. That wasn't too far away from what he was doing in Colorado so I think people are maybe overrating how much Barry fell and now he obviously goes to a great situation because unfortunately for the Oilers but I guess fortunately for Barry Oscar Clefbaum we heard a couple weeks ago he's dealing with an aggravated shoulder which will likely require surgery he might be out all of next season so there is a top power play slot just waiting for Tyson Barry to walk into with Connor McDavid with Leon Draisaitl, with RNH. like we know the deal like this is a great spot to be And I don't see any reason why Tyson Barry can't go back to his Colorado numbers. I'm curious to know if you agree or disagree with that.
1: I agree, Elon. I, I'm optimistic about what this does for Tyson Barry, although you did mention the difference between Tyson Barry under Babcock and Keefe. And one coach, Babcock, really didn't like him. And Babcock said it was for defensive reasons. And now uh, you see Tyson Barry going to play under Dave Tippett in Edmonton, who's also a, a pretty conservative and defensively minded coach. So this could either go well, right? Dave Tippett could help Tyson Barry rehab his game and his image uh, as being a defensive liability in time for Barry's next contract. Or it could go terribly if Barry just can't please this coach or system either, because uh, really two of the worst places to be uh, playing poorly and letting your team down in the entire NHL it could be Toronto and Edmonton, so it would be a real shame for him to go from one to the other and just continue to see his career tank. But I'm staying optimistic, Elon. Uh, the good news, like you said, is that power play one job isn't something that Tyson Berry should have to fight for again. this shouldn't even be a question. Hopefully, it goes better for him in Edmonton than it did in Toronto. You know, despite being on a unit in Toronto that you know was loaded, it didn't have McDavid and Drysaddle on it, but. It was still pretty loaded. Barry only had 10 power play points in 46 games once he was promoted to the top power play at around the end of November last season. Of course, if you go back before Toronto for Tyson Barry and see what he did with McKinnon, uh, there's no concerns. He was just destroying it, and we were so high on his fantasy upside. So I'm hoping that that Tyson Barry comes back and that whatever his five-on-five liabilities are, they're either hidden away, they're, they're tucked away a little better in Edmonton, or uh, they're solved by his coach. Elon. I actually have a question for you uh, about Tyson Barry in Edmonton and, and exactly just how to project him for next year. Do you have Barry higher now that he's in Edmonton than you'd have had a healthy cleft bomb?
0: Oh, yeah. I think yeah, okay. definitely. Because Barry's, like, proven that he can get these big point totals on the top power play, on a loaded top power play back in Colorado. Like, Clefbaum had, like, a good year last year, like his best year, but still wasn't at the level that Barry had been producing at, if, if, if I recall correctly. I don't know if you have Clefbaum's numbers available. By the yeah. way, Clefbaum, uh, his fantasy value, he was already down because he was injured, but now even if he does come back, uh, now Barry's there. So I'd be concerned about Clefbaum. I'd also, by the way, be concerned, not super concerned, it's only a one-year deal, right? But anyone who was hoping because you know back when we heard that Clefbaum was injured obviously everyone was thinking wow maybe this is going to be the opportunity that evan bouchard needs to come into the league step right into the top power play or maybe something like darnell nurse or ethan bear all these guys i think aren't going to be getting that job at least to start next season obviously we don't know how things are going to shake out you might be thinking if you're an evan bouchard owner in dynasty like who cares you weren't expecting him to be a big producer for you next season i guess my main concern there would be what if it works out well with Barry. And then all of a sudden they extend him to like a long-term contract midway through the season. And then all of a sudden, Evan Bouchard comes into a team where he's going to be slotted in as the the second power play defenseman for the next like five years to start his career. So like obviously a little reason for concern, but we'll have to see how things shake out with Barry. And yeah, we'll also see obviously defensively, like you said, that might be the concern. And it's maybe a bigger concern considering that the Oilers did not do much to improve their goaltending because they still are going with Koskinen and Mike Smith. They signed Mike Smith to a one-year, $2 million deal. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Anything else to say about the defense?
1: No, I think your your take on uh, on what this could mean for the rest of the D in Edmonton uh, is, is really good, right? I mean, we've always talked about, could Nurse be the next guy? How about Bear? How about Bouchard? It always seems to be someone on the come up in Edmonton to quarterback that top power play who never either gets a full chance or ends up actually being capable of the job. So uh, it's it's nice that we have some certainty with Tyson Berry in the picture. And yeah, we'll see the long-term fantasy impact. Don't forget the fantasy impact this might have on Clef Bomb long-term. If Berry does make an impression at Edmonton and they get along really well and they have a, a long and happy future together, uh, what exactly does that mean for Clef Bomb's upside going forward, let alone uh, Bouchard's too? So yeah, Mike Smith... Uh, you mentioned that he signed. I don't know. Do I? Do you want me to throw back to you? Do you have anything to share before <laughs> I tell you my very obvious take?
0: Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone. I guess I'll just throw some numbers at people. Mike Smith, uh, 38 years old. You know, All these goalies were getting signed back on Friday. And I was thinking, oh man, uh, Edmonton's kind of running out of options here. Then by the time I went to bed that night, I was thinking, maybe Thomas Grice is going to go to Edmonton. Maybe that's like the a good player that they can get and seems like a good fit for Grice. But no, apparently Grice wanted too much money, more than Edmonton can afford. So they went back and got Mike Smith, who put up a 902 save percentage in 39 games last season. Plus, I think the most memorable thing is that dread five goals against game versus chicago in the play-in round which i think really put edmonton behind the eight ball and caused them to lose not even get into the playoffs uh so i don't know i just kind of feel like it's gonna be like edmonton made the playoffs last year right like they were i mean in terms of like in the regular season before the pandemic shut the season down like they were solidly in a playoff spot and i guess it was because koskinen was like decent enough and he'll like Koskinen's is definitely gonna have to do whatever he did last year and maybe more to keep them just where they were before and he's definitely i'm not expecting him to get much help from Mike Smith. And I, I have a feeling you agree.
1: I totally agree. I, it's, you know, it felt like there was so many goalies available at the start of free agency, and none were really signed for less than Mike Smith. So I, for the money they're paying, the Oilers might not have been able to do better. Although like, I'd still have rather signed Ryan Miller to a one-year, $2 million contract. But we know there's this history between Tippett and Smith that I guess is more important than the last two seasons, in which Mike Smith was a 900 goalie. Uh, There's no sense getting... Well, in one way, there's no sense getting upset about this because Mike Smith is destined to back up Koskinen this year. But on the other hand, there's a lot of reason to get upset about this because this is another year where you have uh, Prime McDavid and Prime Drysaddle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins probably about to exit his prime. And you're going with a tandem of Koskinen and Smith, where Smith is your insurance policy if Koskinen goes down, where you probably don't just want an insurance policy if you're Edmonton, you want someone to potentially overtake Koskinen who hasn't really proven himself to be a a number one goalie in the league yet. So it's uh, it's another lesson not learned by Edmonton, it seems, in that they're, they're ready to just... Like potentially, and I don't mean to be over, overly dramatic here, but they're ready to potentially just throw away another year of contention with two of the best players in the world because they won't invest in net.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, who knows? Like maybe they tried. Like there, there, there were a lot of UFAs, and they all had options, and maybe Edmonton apparently they were kind of cash strapped, uh, so they they got a good deal on Barry. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think what they would need at the very best, like Koskinen, I think, is decent enough to be like a 1A, 1B type of goalie. Like, I think last year he impressed us. He was a lot better than we expected him to be. And I feel like if they had another goalie that they could like go 50-50, kind of like Grice and Varlamov last year on the Islanders or something, I think that would be totally fine. But yeah, it looks like I'm expecting Koskinen to have to play a lot and play very well. Uh, So we'll see what happens. Uh, The Edmonton Oilers did bring in some reinforcements, at least up front. So that's kind of interesting. Like, obviously, they've got McDavid, Drys. Settle RNH and Yamamoto, who came up last year and was a, a nice addition to the team. And now uh, some other players they've brought in to help with some depth, which has always been a problem for the Oilers. So they finally got Jesse Pugliarvi, to re-sign with the team. So he's locked in at two years for $2.35 million total. So he is going to come back from Carpat in Liga, where he had four, 53 points in 56 games last year. He's still only 22 years old. So the hope would be that Pooley can be at least a middle six guy and a useful player on the team. They also brought in a couple of former Ottawa Senators, and Kyle Turris, who signed a two-year deal for $3.3 million. And Turris is a guy who didn't do that great in Nashville last year, only 31 points in 62 games. But he used to be like a 55-plus point guy, Back in Ottawa, like, just recently, you know, like, a few seasons ago, 2017-18, he was a 55 point pace guy, so maybe just it didn't work out in nashville and maybe he can at least be a helpful i mean i'm not expecting him to be a 55 point guy though when anyone comes to edmonton you always think in terms of fantasy like what if he gets to play with mcdavid and turris could be like just the third line center or maybe he goes to the wing and plays on the top line so who knows and then there's tyler ennis who they also brought in they brought him in at the end of last year now they've extended him for one more year and again he's someone who did play with mcdavid so we'll have probably another year of lines shifting around and us getting excited and now we'll have a few more names to throw into the mix of people to get excited about like along with zach cassian who seems to always get a shot on the top line now there'll be puliarvi tourists and ennis who might get good spots once in a while and it'll be interesting to see if any of them maybe take that fourth forward top power play spot from i guess it's alex chiasan who usually is there so i wonder if puliarvi tourists or ennis can bump chase on is chase on even still there i don't even know
1: Yeah, he is. He's still on the depth chart. But now, maybe, uh, I mean, the thing is that it's nice that Yarvey is signed and back in the fold. Like, absolutely, let's finally, hopefully, get a chance to see what he's capable of. And that would require him not getting railroaded by the team and media upon his return. It, It doesn't seem like he has many allies in Edmonton, which hopefully won't work too hard against him. Because it is a city where it does seem like that there is a lot determined by just how people feel about you. So I, I hope Paul Yarvin can get in there and crack the top 6, but if if he can't I'm worried for him. Uh, It's nice that Taurus is now the third line center to help anyone who's not in the top six. So if Pugliarvi, at worst, will get Taurus as a center, but it feels like a long shot to even produce from the third line when Edmonton's modus operandi, that's that's the full version of MO for anyone who didn't know, is going to be to keep the McDavid and Side lines on as often as they possibly can. Uh, So, you know, I, I don't see a whole lot of upside for Pugliarvi except for the fact that Edmonton is still lacking two top six wingers. They have Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins up there now, but Cassian and Ennis don't really cut it. So maybe that's an opening for Paul Yarby if things can be shifted around the right way to get him in on his strong side. Uh, then, then I'm optimistic for him. If he's not in the top six, that just seems like a recipe for disaster. Uh, meanwhile, if Ennis does hang around in the top six, he, that's a that's the sort of player that you can probably stream in heavy Edmonton weeks, and maybe longer than that. He's like a better version of Alex Chayson.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's not throw too much shade at I mean At this point in their careers, maybe they're similar, but I guess we don't, we don't have time, Brian, to like, nitpick about something like that. I will nitpick, though. You said modus operandi. Like, I feel like I've always thought it was operandi. I,
1: yeah, I probably pronounced it wrong when I, I tried to sound really smart, but then uh, I uh, the botched o- modus operandi. No, it's operandi. I th- I, anyways, again. It's an A. If we, you know, if this was a
0: couple weeks ago, we would have had all episode to chew over this and look it up. But we we got to move on, and let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs who lose Tyson Berry to free agency which is obviously good news in terms of fantasy for Morgan Riley, who should hopefully have his power play one job back unless Sheldon Keefe pulls a, I guess, a Hartley or a Gulitson and puts newly signed TJ Brody on the top power play like he used to be on Calgary. And I remember on the podcast, Brian, we would always be like, why is Brody there? Why not your Donna? Why not Hamilton? Uh, so, but I would assume Morgan Riley takes that job back. Don't forget, Riley put up 72 points just two seasons ago, 2018-19, including 21 power play points. Last year didn't go as well. Uh, only 27 points in 47 games and only seven of those were power play points that was a 47 point pace which is still good actually I kind of had a memory that both Barry and Riley I kind of thought that they had done worse last year than how they actually did when I actually looked at the numbers to prep this episode but uh, yeah I'd be very happy as a Morgan Riley fantasy owner thinking that Barry is gone and he should hopefully get that job back do you concur
1: I concur with the usual caveat that I offer about Morgan Riley was that the huge season he had where he looked like a 70-point player a couple seasons back was built on a lot of things that weren't sustainable. So while he's in a fantastic spot to still collect points, if he's the top, like and should be, the top power play quarterback, unthreatened by TJ Brody or really anybody else in the lineup uh, to to be someone who gets to collect from a loaded top power play unit, I still would not think of him as returning to the form that we last saw him in when he was quarterbacking that top unit. I'm still not saying he he can't get 55 or 60 points, but I'd say to uh to consider that his upside rather than like the the benchmark for like a reasonable conservative estimate for him. TJ Brody, meanwhile, is someone who uh, had an awful season last year with just a 24-point pace, uh, which is sad for him because he's been a guy that we've never really liked on the show because, yeah, he was always taking time from Giordano when we didn't understand why and not doing a whole lot with it. But at least we could say for Brody that he was a guy you could set your watch to getting 35 points from and even have hope that he can reach 40. And I think he'll get back to being that guy in Toronto, kind of like Jake Muzzin or an Alec Martinez analog in terms of fantasy, although worse than both those guys, because peripherals have never been a big part of Brody's game. So... I don't think, if anyone's wondering what this does for his fantasy value, honestly, I don't think a a whole lot. This is one of those moves that means much more on the ice than it does in fantasy matchups. But Elon, you'd be well served to point out that uh, this could be good for the Toronto goalies if they are making defense a priority. Uh, We still want to see Freddie Anderson get some rest, regardless of how many good defenders they put out in front of him. But the more solid defenders they can fill their top four and top six D pairs with, the better.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they've kind of addressed that, right? Like at the end of last year, they brought in Jack Campbell to be a backup. I think a lot of people expect Campbell to be a very capable backup who can play more than you know, the Sparks and whoever else, Hutchinson's of the world that were there before. So yeah, it looks like Toronto is like, they've learned good lessons. They just got to put it together now. Like they've got some good defense and they've got Brody. Like you said, they've got Muzzin. Uh, they've got uh, Riley, uh, Derma. They they also just signed Zach Bogosian. I don't know how much he brings to the table. Obviously nothing for fantasy, but he, hey, he helped the Lightning to the Cup. So <laughs> there's something there. It brings leadership and Cup winning experience at the very least. Uh, Rasmus Sandin is someone we were excited about at the end of the season or Justin Hall. So I don't know. It seems like they have a rosterable set of defensemen they obviously have those high-end forwards they've got anderson and campbell so i like the leaf setup and i hope that i hope it works out and obviously though because of all the money they're paying for all their high-end players we have to mention that they made a trade and it's one of those trades you just have to do when you're up against the cap. So they trade away Andreas Janssen who's a solid middle six piece for them. He goes to New Jersey for a guy named Joey Anderson who's a 22-year-old prospect who I've been reading could maybe be like a bottom six, like right winger. So it's good, you know, Toronto loves to get those bottom sixers that don't make very much money that can just take the minutes whenever, you know, Marner and Tavares and Matthews and everyone needs a rest. Uh, But yeah, I guess we should look into, with Andreas Janssen leaving, that does actually leave a very tempting and valuable spot open in the Leafs top six because don't forget Kasperi Kapanen was traded to the Penguins a few weeks ago so all of a sudden we've got a top six in Toronto with like Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Hyman we assume they're all there and and an open spot right so someone's going to be playing with Matthews or Tavares next year that's not Janssen that's not Kapanen I the first thing that jumps to my mind is maybe Ilya Mikheyev is the front runner. He had twenty three points in thirty nine games last year, including a really hot run at the end of December when he got into the top six. Before that scary regular season ending injury, uh, he did come back for the short play in round. No points in five games. Who knows if he was fully healthy? So I'm not going to pay any attention to that. Uh, I guess there's also Nicholas Robertson, who is a prospect who could get there someday, but he's only nineteen years old. So I'm pretty bullish on Ilya Mikheyev for next year. Soupy, as people call him I think that he might have a long and secure spot playing with Matthews or Tavares and how can that not be good
1: I can't answer that question Elon. there is no answer although we've seen Andres Janssen uh, not be great in those situations who so will I guess we'll get to in a minute but first yeah let's talk about Soupy, who did have a brief run last season playing with Tavares and Hyman in Toronto in which he had six points in seven games and looks like he might be able to stick although like he he was sort of bumped down back into the middle slash bottom six before getting injured we never really got to see him get a, a new opportunity a fresh start in that top six so now uh, all of a sudden there aren't so many contenders for that extra top six spot in sight with Janssen and Kapanen out the door, uh, which is a sort of a new thing in Toronto for for them to need someone to step in rather than to have this glut of options. So Mikhaev has this nice upside, and I think Toronto clearly likes him enough to want to give him that opportunity to be a forward in their top six. So uh, I'd put him right up there next to Hyman as somebody who is probably worth nabbing towards the end of a reasonably deep draft, uh, just as someone that you can count on for at least a half point per game and probably more. Elon, don't jump on me for calling Hyman only a half point per game player. No, no,
0: that's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's okay. I agree with you. Like This is going to be like when we're coming up with our sleepers. You know, everyone, when drafts come I can, can you imagine, Brian, fantasy hockey drafts? Uh, that'll be very exciting when that happens, I guess maybe in a couple months in, in the best case. Uh, but yeah, like I think people are going to be coming up with their list of sleepers and I feel like Mikhaev is going to be on that list for a lot of people. We see in the chat here, uh, Alex is suggesting maybe like Wayne Simmons could take that yeah. spot. Uh, who knows, right? I don't I mean, think the, the, I, the Leafs didn't the sign signing for that. Yeah. it's
1: nice. I and I was sort of advocating for Wayne Simmons to have more of a role, like at some points over the last couple of years. But I'm kind of over it. I yeah. I really I'm really concerned about his future. I mean, he's a he's a nice signing. The same way that Toronto, I feel like Toronto fills out their bottom six the way that Toronto, Ottawa wants to fill out their entire team by like signing these guys from Toronto, like Simmons and Spezza, who can be like these vet presences. But hopefully, ideally in a limited role in Toronto I I don't think it's a bad play I think it's really interesting but I don't see Simmons being a candidate to play in the top six yeah I mean
0: that's probably like worst case scenario like if Mikhaev gets injured and someone else you know like obviously it's a it's a potential option but clearly yeah the Leafs didn't bring Simmons in so let's mention they signed Simmons to a one-year contract I think uh, 1.5 million and they also signed Jason Spezza so yeah that's what the Leafs do like we said loaded top six and then budget guys at the bottom and Simmons you know I don't think his job is going to be to get points his job is going to be to be like you know a big tough presence. He, I think he said in an interview how he's going to be there to like stand up for people and fight for the team. So you know whatever that that's great uh, and hopefully that works out. Uh, you know not a lot of money and I wouldn't expect much fantasy value. Obviously if your league counts hits he's going to provide something there and we'll see if he can like throw in some shots on goal and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, yeah great spot for Mikhaev and now let's go to the New Jersey side of that trade because they get 25 year old Andreas Janssen who had uh, like you said not a great year last year only 21 points in 40 games. He did have a 48 point pace the year before or in very low ice time so he was looking to us like someone who with given a bigger opportunity could really be a breakout candidate um and now i think he could actually be a nice sleeper for next year as well maybe i'd put him around the mikhaev level in terms of when i'm deciding who to draft because the devils didn't bring on his contract just for him to be a bottom sixer i wouldn't think right like he's getting paid i think it's like three point something million for the next three or four years i guess i should have had that ready i'm not sure why i don't uh, i'm mad at it like last night elon now for not writing that in my notes but uh they've got in there and Assuming he's in the top six, he's going to be centered by either Nico Heashier or Jack Hughes. And that's good. Like, hopefully, Jack. Obviously, we have to hope that Jack Hughes is going to be a lot better than he was last year, but they didn't draft him first overall for nothing. So, theoretically, we might be looking at another team like the Sabres who have not a bad top six. Like, not as much star power as Eichel and Hall, but names, like good names. Heashier, Gusev, Palmieri could be aligned. And then maybe Jansen with Hughes and Jesper Brat. Uh, so. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm actually a little bit into the devils for next year. Like, not as much as last year when I think we all went too over the top when they got Gusev and PK Subban. And all of a sudden we were talking about maybe this team could be like a, a playoff team and maybe like the rebuild is over. Obviously, that didn't work out. Now, uh, Ben Burnett from Short Shifts, he was saying he looks at this as like maybe a budget version of the Islanders, you know? Like, uh, you know, the team, not a lot of star power, but you know, one really good center and maybe two. And, you know, a team that's going to, like, focus on defense and maybe be able to make something happen. So we'll have to see. I'm kind of into the what the Devils did. They also got Corey Crawford in free agency, which is definitely going to be an improvement over what Corey Schneider was giving them last year. They waived him. So now they're going to have, I think, a really nice looking tandem with Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Crawford. I don't even think, Brad, we need to debate, like, who's going to get more starts. I think the plan is to play them 50-50. I think that would be the smart thing to do. And yeah, I don't know, I'm to the devils. But I guess I didn't even let you comment yet on Janssen. So let's start there. Do you concur with me that he might be someone that people should be targeting for drafts next year?
1: Kind of. I'm open to the ideas, I often say, but I'm not so sold on Andres Janssen. I do love what you said about that he'll he'll get to play with Hughes or his year and there's a decent top six around him. Although if you're on a line with Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt, uh, if Jack Hughes doesn't take that big step forward, we're hoping he will this year. And of course, he's still a blue chip top end prospect, so there's a good chance he does. But still, if that doesn't happen and you're playing with those two, uh, it's not really top six material. But let's hope that it would be. Even if it is, uh, I'm just going to remind you that Andreas Janssen only scraped together 16 points in about 30 games when he started this past season playing with Matthews and Elander in Toronto. Then he got hurt, and then he never got back to a place like that in a lineup. Now we find out whether uh, Janssen was was uh, put into the bottom six for the rest of the year for good reason or not. So you can hear that I remain somewhat skeptical of Janssen's upside because he also, uh, not just last year, But the year before, he had a a pretty good stretch with Matthews over 20 game span, also didn't do a whole lot with it. So it it seems like he's a guy who's, who's had his fair share of talking up and someone who seems like there is some potential there. We just haven't really seen it translate over the last two years. So to me, he still needs to prove he can be more than a 50 point player, let alone someone who's got fantasy relevance of someone who's you know, 55, 60 in that area. So I'd, I'd like to see him prove that he can do that before I start buying in on any of the any of the hype. And if I had to guess, uh, I would guess that he's just a 50-point player at this point, okay. but it's just a gut feel. I don't have a lot of data to back it up because we haven't seen him play consistently in the role that we're about to see him play in New Jersey. So like I said, I'm skeptical, but I, I, I keep an open mind to it. He's not someone that I'm likely to draft, though.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I I guess what I would say is, first of all, a 50-point player... Not so bad, right? Depending on how deep your league is, sometimes I think in the cup full of fifty point guy is like barely rosterable. The cup full being the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which we'll be promoting very soon. As soon as the season like start date is announced, by the way, if anyone's going to want to play in our awesome league, I'll just drop you. Know, we got no ads this episode. We're just only talking about UFA. So I'll just take a second to mention that that's going to be something that's going to be huge. We've got big plans for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League next year. So just just letting you know. And he's um, I think that uh, Janssen would be someone who would be draftable if he was a fifty point guy. And I guess all I'll say is I agree with you that it didn't look good in Toronto and I think this is an upgrade for him like I don't think I would have been interested in drafting him if he stayed in Toronto because I think that they had given up on him in the top six as you said at the end of the year when he came back from injury he didn't get there so at least now he gets a new opportunity in a fresh place so it could only be good I don't think things could get much worse unless obviously he stinks like if he doesn't play well then he'll get bumped down the lineup but obviously New Jersey's hoping that won't happen and Brian what do you think about my take that the Devils might actually be a decent enough team like I said they have a, a decent looking top six they've got two I think really good goalies, like above average goalies in Blackwood and Crawford, who I know, Brian, you were tweeting about how much better Crawford is than what he's been getting credit for over the years. And you know what? Their defense? I don't know. They, just, they got Ryan Murray. They just uh, traded for him, who I think is a good defensive defenseman from Columbus. They have Subban, obviously, Severson. Uh, this guy, Ty Smith, is coming up that people are very excited about. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying they're like a playoff shoe in or anything, but I could see them surprising people and maybe, you know, not being at the bottom of the league, maybe being a team that if there were another pandemic, hopefully it won't happen, you know, in another play round, maybe they would like be in that level, like around where the Florida Panthers were last year. I think it's possible.
1: Man, I don't know. I just, feel like there's an absence of game-breaking talent there. And ideally, Hishier and Hughes and Gusev all have that game-breaking upside. We just haven't seen them reach it yet. So if they all do reach it this year, then yeah, they could be a contender. They do, as you said, though, and I'll speak to their goalies for a minute, they've at least prepared themselves well in net with Corey Crawford, who is a very good goalie and has been for the course of his career. A lot of people sort of forget him in the in the, all the... Um, Credit doled out to other Chicago players for their success, but Corey Crawford, especially last year, uh, he's the reason they even made the play-ins. Uh, he and Robin Lehner, uh, and he was playing behind the weakest D in the league last season. So Crawford had a 9.17 last year, but he was even better than that would suggest because of just how porous the defenders were in front of him. Uh, they were dead last in the league in five-on-five five expected goals against per 60 minutes, just to describe how exactly they ranked in stopping shots that should have been goals or could have expected to have been goals. Um, Crawford last year was a top 10 goalie in the league, and that's a conservative ranking. At 35 years old, he actually ranked second, only to Connor Hallibuck in Delta Fenwick save percentage, which is one uh, measure for exactly how well a goalie uh, played compared to what you would have expected him to do in net. So We'll see if he can keep that up in New Jersey. The only thing is that uh, he's going to a team that wasn't so much better defensively than Chicago. Chicago was dead last, so New Jersey was better, but they were only like five spots better than Chicago. That's what
0: Ryan Murray is for,
1: Brian. Yeah, that's that's all. (laughs) So Ryan Murray is going to change all of that because you look at the rest of their D, uh, Subban, Butcher, Severson, White, and Carrick, all repeats, all holdovers from last year, although Colton White is still a an RFA so we'll all be waiting with bated breath to see well, yeah. if he if he returns. Well, Brian, but, Ty
0: Smith, he was I'm in a Dynasty League draft right now, Ty Smith just got taken, people are very different. but anyways, I get what you're was, saying there, For sure, there was another like, team
1: yeah. where you were mentioning uh, like young defensive prospects coming up and how that's going to help the defense and like I will never ever assume that sure. a, a new defense, like a, especially a, a defenseman who's barely out of his teenage years is going to come in and make a difference defensively. Oh we were talking about Chicago actually you're mentioning Bokvist and another guy and it's just like you can't put that load on someone and like I wouldn't expect uh, I wouldn't ever expect it from a defenseman to say oh yeah they're going to improve the the team defense as a whole until i actually see them do it no that's totally
0: fair like i think new jersey's got like the building blocks of something i guess like i'm just saying that i think they might surprise us a little bit again i'm I'm not like saying like everyone buy shares in new jersey devils imagine that was a thing all all i'm saying is like uh, i think they might be better than people are expecting because like you say brian on paper they don't look that great you know i I think of like columbus last year on paper didn't look super great obviously better defensively and they had like a lot of question marks in net so but it was the goalies really carried them pretty far and now Like, we'll hope that New Jersey's goalies will win some games for them that they, that they didn't deserve to win. And then we'll see.
1: Yeah, the Devils, at least you can say they have a tandem that's going to win them some games That uh, that... They might not deserve to win. It's going to be nice for Blackwood and Crawford. I think we've seen them both struggle the more often they play in recent years. So it's nice that they can split starts with each other. And Blackwood, not chopped liver at all. He was also a top 10 goalie last season in Delta Fenwick save percentage. Uh, and, you know, that also sort of speaks to the challenge posed by being a goalie for the Devils last year when you're just facing like a barrage of high quality shots. But uh, as we're saying, Crawford and Blackwood could be low key. One of the best tandems in the league going it's into possible. next season, so I'm excited to see they. they I, Columbus isn't a bad comparison, Elon, because maybe they're, um, may, they might be better than Corpus Alto Merzlikens were last year, although they were amazing. Um, but the rest of the team isn't as good as defending, so maybe it's a wash. Anyway, we we're talking too long about the Devils, uh, <laughs> but the goaltending is fantastic. The top six is curious, and we'll see if that'll be enough to to make them at least a bubble team.
0: Yeah, I would hope P.K. Subban could figure out how to play a little bit better than he did last year, so that might be something. But okay, you're right, Brian. We've talked too much about the Devils. We have some breaking news, by the way. Steven in the chat is letting us know that the Leafs have done it again. They've brought in another cheap bottom six winger in Jimmy Vesey, so... Add him to the list with Simmons and Spetza and all these guys who are going to, you know, help the Leafs stay under the cap, but be able to roster a team with 12 forwards in the lineup every single day. So that's good. No fantasy impact, of course, but probably a good signing for the Leafs. Uh, so we were talking about, you know, how Chicago loses Corey Crawford. He goes to New Jersey and we're talking about how New Jersey has this great tandem. Now let's look at Chicago, who loses Corey Crawford. They, like, last year, Chicago had a good tangent, right? They had Crawford and Robin Leonard, and they were spending a crap ton of money on goalies. Now they go to having neither of those guys, and they didn't replace them in free agency. And it looks like they're not planning to replace them. It looks like they're going to try to pull a Columbus and let their young goalies get a chance and hope that one or maybe two of them can, you know, do something and, like, earn a job, a long-term job. So... Yeah, let me throw these names at you. Here are the current goalies, and I, I feel in such deja vu from last year talking about Columbus when Bobrovsky left. I'm like, I think they're actually just going to go with Corpusalo and Merse Lickens We were all like, I don't know about this, and it turned out to be like so much better than Florida's situation with Bobrovsky. Uh, so we'll see if it ha- could happen again in Chicago. Could also totally blow up in their face. They re-signed Malcolm Subban to a two-year deal for 850,000 per year, and then they have these prospects who played in the AHL last year, Colin Delia, who I believe we saw a couple years ago in the NHL, and he did he did pretty decent. And last year he had a nine twelve save percentage with Rockford in 32 games and they have another goalie Kevin Lankanen who had a 909 save percentage in 21 games with Rockford so in my opinion it's really hard to predict I feel like two of these three goalies will make the team I think it's almost uh, an even bet on who they'll be like I think if Malcolm Subban struggles in training camp I don't see why they wouldn't send him down because he has a very cheap contract and then you know have Delian Lankanen as their pair of goalies so they've got three goalies to try two of them will make it hopefully one or two of them will also be decent and as far as fantasy goes this is your chance to potentially get a starting goalie or a pair of goalies like at the very end of your draft you know no one's going to be drafting Suban, Delia or Lankanen so they'll be there for you if you want them I know Brian you're about to remind us how bad Chicago is defensively so you have to be wary but if you know if you're in a league where goalies are at a premium it's super hard to get goalies who play games uh, these are the guys that Chicago has for next year again Malcolm Suban, Colin Delia, Kevin Lankanen learn their names because two of them might be meaningful.
1: <laughs> Learn their names. And if you ever roster them, get ready to curse their names. It's of course possible that one of them will step up. I remember back uh, post Cristobal Huey for Chicago, the last time they were in this situation, Cristobal Huey, uh, the contract they signed him to essentially sunk his career because he was so far from playing up to it. And they were left with Antiniemi niemi and Corey Crawford, who, uh, you know, no one knew who the next one was, but they knew one of these guys was going to be NHL starter material. We don't, the difference between then and now is that we don't know that Delia, Subban, or Lankanen are going to be NHL starter material. There's less faith in either of those guys being able to take up that mantle. And of course, uh, Chicago was still in a stage where they were like a really fantastic overall team. Now they're in a place where they have started to rebuild uh, in really interesting articles that we're seeing, by the way, from uh, your pal, Elon Mark Lazarus, uh, about the discontent amongst the Chicago core that you know, they're pulling the plug on them pretty much and starting to go into a, what seems like a pretty deep rebuild. But that's not really that uh, relevant right now. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that Chicago is going to be a bad team next year with three unproven goalies. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. I I think they'd be happy to get first overall pick next year the way things seem to be shaping oh. up for them.
0: I mean, I don't know, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic. Like, I'm just thinking, like, with goalies, it's so hard to predict. Like last year, I, I remember going into it. I thought Yunus Corposalo was like such a dud. Like, you know, he had like had a couple chances in Columbus before when Bobrowski got hurt. He never did anything. And then look at him, he ended up being one of the top goalies. And uh, who knows? Maybe Delia or can do it. Like, I'm not saying I think it's gonna happen. It is frustrating though, because like Chicago, you're right. They they also traded Brandon Saad, I guess, to try to help their goalies. They brought a defenseman and Nikita Zadarov, so it was a trade with Colorado. Saad and Dennis Gilbert for two defensemen actually. Zadorov and Anton Lindholm. So I don't know. I'm not really expecting that to help too much. Like Zadorov, they signed him to a one year, $3.2 million contract. So obviously they're expecting him to help. Um, but like, I don't know when you say, like, they're just going to be terrible next year. Like, they still have some very high-end players, right? Like, they've got Taves, Kane, Kubalik, Dabrinkit, like, Strom. Like, I- I'm sure I'm even leaving someone out. Like, uh, this is a good team, like, in terms of, like, high-end, like, offensive players. And they've got, oh, yeah, Kirby Doc and, like, Adam Boakvist, who were rookies last year. And we would hope that they could take some strides. So they have some really good pieces. Uh, probably losing Brandon Saad doesn't help. Maybe for that I don't even know. Like, what do you make of this trade? Like, is this like a like a we're rebuilding? We're just dumping a contract, or is this like we need? We were terrible at, at defense, so we're going to try to bring in some defense at the expense of a forward.
1: I don't know what to make of this trade. I, I don't know what Chicago's doing. You'd think when you pretty much have two or three years left to squeeze out of Taze and Kane that you're going to try and make the most of that two or three years and not and not sort of back out early of your window. Uh, that's. So I I don't know what Chicago's uh, M.O. is at the moment. I can't understand exactly. Speaking of Saad specifically, by the way, I saw a funny tweet last night, and I'm sorry I can't credit where it came from, uh, but it said that uh, Stan Bowman has now lost his third trade involving Brandon Saad. So he has traded for or uh, traded away Brandon Saad three times. These are the trades. Uh, He traded Brandon Saad away uh, for Artem Anisimov, then he traded for Brandon Saad by trading away Artemi Panarin, and now he's traded Brandon Saad away to acquire Zadarov and Lindholm, neither of whom necessarily project to be better than a third-pairing defenseman. So uh, it's it's very strange what Stan Bowman's history is with Brandon Saad. I don't know how you can lose a trade on the same player three times, but it seems like that's what's just happened. Well,
0: yeah. Or time will tell. But like, the one thing... But I, or, I agree or, with you.
1: Or he'll lose two and then win the third. Like, that's yeah, exactly. not much better, Elon.
0: Well, you know, there is an argument to made. I talked about this with, like you said, my good friend Mark Lazarus. I don't know if Mark Lazarus agrees that we're good friends. I don't even think he knows my name, but I, I would like that. I did have a great podcast episode with him. Uh, but... You know, we did discuss how the thing is, Panarin, again, became a free agent, like an unrestricted free agent, and he left Columbus. So I guess the idea is like, yeah, you say he lost the trade if you think that Chicago still had a window at that time to go for a cup. And maybe if they would have had Panarin, maybe they would have been able to win it. But they had Saad for longer. But now they've traded Saad away. Yeah, exactly. So that's moot. But I'm just saying like, well, go back and listen to that podcast, Brian. And like Mark Lazarus, Mark Lazarus,
1: Mark Lazarus said it. that
0: you could like make multiple arguments of if, if they right. won there, or lost the Panarin trade.
1: There was an opportunity cost element in that deal. I get it. Yeah, uh, But now I don't think there's any possible justification for
0: it here let me give you one fantasy relevant uh impact from this trade so if zador if zadorov i think it's zadorov i i watched the playoffs right he was playing for colorado uh uh if he comes to chicago which he will i think he's probably gonna get more ice time than he did in colorado because chicago doesn't have as many good defensemen and zadorov is obviously a huge fantasy asset in terms of hits he just throws those hits like crazy so even more hits potentially if he has more ice time now in chicago so if you're in a league that counts hits, I think he's, his value may have even gone up now that he's switched teams. Uh, but, you know, still, how much value is there in a defense <laughs> when he gives you hits but nothing else?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, like, it's a categories league. He also it- gives his team, like, this is why I'm not at all high on the trade. He doesn't give his team much else aside from, like, some good defensive play. It won't take that away from him. But I don't think he, like, I think that's actually offset by the lack of anything else he's able to offer.
0: Right. Okay, so... That's a shame for Chicago. They'll have to impress us. I guess just like New Jersey. It's teams that like, uh, we're not expecting much, but we'll see. It seems like New Jersey's maybe going in a different direction than Chicago, though, in terms of the trades they've made and the signings they made this summer. Uh, so on the flip side of that trade, we go to Colorado, who has now gotten even better by acquiring Brandon Saad, who joins a forward core that already has McKinnon, Ranton, and Landis got Kadri. They re-signed Berkovsky. They re-signed Nishushkin. They've got Donskoy, Jost, Comfer. Like, this is just a loaded team. Like, obviously, some of those names at the end there make more of a bottom six, but that's a pretty decent bottom Six and now you add Brad and Sod to that list. Plus, by the way, they're gonna have Bowen Byram probably ready to fill an open D spot soon enough. It's not as if they lose Zadorov and, like, oh, now we need to acquire a D. Like, Bowen Byram is ready to come up probably, if not next year, then the year after, but maybe even next season. It's like this freaking team, the Colorado Avalanche, just look like such a strong contender. Too bad for them that both of their goalies got injured in the playoffs because I would have been interested to see a Colorado versus Tampa Bay Stanley Cup final, but that's all said and done. Uh, we've been over Sad for a while in terms of fantasy. Like, maybe Brian, we've even, like, now overlooked him a little bit because he's been close to a 50-point guy for the past couple of seasons, so he hasn't been nothing. And who knows? I guess best case for him now is he gets on the second line with Kadri and Burakovsky, and that would be huge. Like, that would be great for him. And obviously, he has a lot of competition. I just listed a bunch of names, but, you know, Donskoy is someone who played there before, and Achushkin has gotten chances. But Sad is a good player, so definitely something to watch in terms of, yeah, another potential sleeper in leagues next year. And we're gonna have to pay attention to training camp and see if he's getting a line two deployment.
1: For sure. You know, Brandon Saad is someone I've mentioned more than you would have liked. I think over the last couple years as someone who might be able to do something and I'm gonna, at least I think we're closer to being on the same page now with Saad going to Colorado. I had sort of given up on him by the end of last season anyway. So now you look at Saad going to the Avs and it's surely an upgrade on Eunice Donskoy at Kadri's Wing, which is a pretty nice place to produce from uh, with Nazem Kadri as your center. I want to look to Burakovsky's production, which is almost a 60-point pace, as a guide for what we could hope for from Saad, who, like I said, in my opinion, still has some good hockey in him. Of course, the caveat here is that Brandon Saad has had Taves and Kane as two of his three most frequent line mates for each of the last two seasons and did very little with that uh, but then I look back to those seasons in Columbus where Saad had no power play time, but still managed to break 50 points, be one of the league's top five on five scorers. And that's my reason. Well, that has been my reason to hold that, I would hope for the last couple of years. And it's still my reason to hold that hope now that he's in Colorado. Um, his last couple of years in Chicago weren't even that bad, which always confused me. His numbers under the hood, uh, weren't awful, but Saad was hurt. By variance, uh, more than he deserved to be, I think. And then I'll throw this last hint of optimism for Brandon Saad: is that his points per sixty this past season was actually right up there with his Columbus fifty-plus point seasons. But Saad was seeing less time on ice this season, so it didn't show up in his numbers. Anyway. Uh, Last season, we were talking about Donskoy going into this spot. Second line in Colorado playing with Kadri. Uh, and the hype behind him wasn't unreasonable. Uh, but I think Saad deserves that same amount, plus a touch more. So yeah, he's someone who I think is, is almost draftable going into next season. He, he'd he be on my list as like a late round flyer.
0: Yeah, so higher than Andreas Janssen, I'm taking it.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. I take him before Janssen. What, what about you?
0: Eh don't know no,
1: 50 like i'm not uh, you
0: love brandon Saad i like brandon Saad so it's like a little bit different like you were comparing saying that like maybe he could be like burakovsky i'm not gonna you know be expecting that i think he's not necessarily even being brought in for that i think that actually him getting on the top six is only maybe a 50 50 <laughs> chance in itself like i think that he's a really solid you know third liner that can play well defensively and while you know when they want to let their stars rest so we'll see how it shakes out uh but yeah he's someone i'd definitely be interested in but it would be more like i have to wait and see how things shake out in training camp which i'm sure you would agree with Uh, Let's switch now to the... I talked about Bowen Byram, who is this defensive prospect that Colorado has, that if you recall, they drafted him a couple years ago with a pick that they acquired from the Ottawa Senators when they traded away Matt Duchesne. And so I guess since we're talking about the Ottawa Senators, let's talk about a big trade they made recently where they picked up a big name for themselves in Matt Murray. So the Sens have got their starting goalie now. They acquired Murray for Jonathan Gruden and a 2020 second round pick who turned out to be a guy named Joel Blomqvist. So we'll see if we ever talk about the Penguin superstar Joel Blomqvist. Uh, But in the meantime, the Sens... Get Matt Murray. And obviously the real reason the Penguins did this trade is to get that contract off their books. Well, he was an RFA. They just wanted to get something for him because they weren't planning on re-signing him because they extended Tristan Jari. We'll talk about the Penguins in a second. Let's focus on the Sands because Murray signed a big deal with Ottawa. $25 million for four years. That's $6.25 million AAV. So if you're keeping track at home, that's more than Crawford is making. That's more than Markstrom. That's more than Leonard Of all the big names, that's more than Holtby. Like all the big name UFA goalies that signed this summer. Uh, the guy who made the most money was RFA Matt Murray, who uh, you would think shouldn't deserve this much money because he's coming off the worst season of all these guys. He had an 889 save percentage last year in 38 games. We all recall that it was Tristan Jarre that eventually took over the job from him. Uh, though Murray is just a couple seasons removed, right? In 2018-19, he had that really terrible start where Casey DeSmith took over for a bit. Then if you recall, Murray just said that he was injured and then he took like a month off. Then he came back and he was amazing. He actually ended the year with a 919 save percentage. And then of course, if we go further back, we have his first two amazing seasons where he came late in 2015-16, led the Pens to the Cup, did the same thing the following year. So he's obviously, and he was a highly heralded prospect, before he even started with the Penguins. So he's a guy who at one point, I remember talking to prospect expert Cam Robinson and he said that Murray is like the first goalie you take in a fantasy draft ahead of Andre Vasilevsky. So that's obviously changed. Uh, And now the Sens get this guy and we have to figure out, is this good? Like, obviously, Brian, we can't predict goalies. We're not that good at it. And like with Murray's especially tricky because is it like, has he been affected by all these injuries that he's had over the years? Uh, Maybe is he like somehow recovered now and he's ready to be great on Ottawa or did Ottawa just make a huge mistake and now they're going to have this, like below average goalie for four years at big money does not even care if they're spending big money since they're just trying to get to the cap floor apparently uh so uh, you know Brian, you're a sense fan so so take it away are you, are you happy about this or are you really mad or somewhere in the middle
1: i'm confused uh, okay so so i guess somewhere in the middle i thought the trade was a, an interesting place to be like or an interesting move to make uh, i I liked it and I can tell you that the sense fans fans around me also liked it. It was like, okay, alright, a second round pick for a goalie who's had like some real success in the NHL, who might be the future. And then the contract came, so it's like, wait, what? Like Ottawa doesn't want to pay anyone, but then suddenly it feels like they overpay in net on a contract that's gonna be up around the time they should, God willing, be able to become serious contenders and also like Matt Murray may or may not. Be good. This is, a, this is a huge commitment they just made when Ottawa has essentially refused to commit to anyone who's not Thomas Shabbat for the last several years now. So uh, I don't really know. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. Ottawa confuses me. Uh, I'm not sure what to expect from Matt Marie at all. He confuses me too, so this isn't a really good fit in terms of me being able to predict or project what's going to happen. We know that Matt Marie is going to get a chance to see a lot of rubber, try and get his career back, the last time Ottawa did something like this, although they had a better team at the time, uh, remember they acquired Pascal Leclerc, and of course Leclerc just got injured a bunch of times and never really got off and running, um, never really had a, a string of sustained success either. Not to say that there's any analogy to be made between Marie and Leclerc, but I just feel like we're seeing a, a version of... Of that repeat here where uh, they're looking to to grab a goalie who has had success in the past and hopefully will be their guy for a while, but really your guess is as good as mine, as I imagine, is as good as theirs. Clearly they're confident in Matt Murray. Hopefully he can get his confidence back and be a legit goaltender. Unfortunately it doesn't really matter how well he plays for the next year or two at least. Uh, It's probably going to be pretty rough goings for him. So we'll at least get to see if he can be up to the task or not there's there's no chance he won't be tested
0: yeah so if your league count saves maybe that's good though really like Ottawa should not be playing Matt Murray a lot because he's an injury prone goalie with a history like that's I think the analogy you can make with Pascal yeah. Leclerc is Murray is someone who like you want to have a 1B maybe they, maybe they will right like why not they have Marcus Hogberg who was solid enough last year you know in front of a bad defensive team uh, they also have Anders Nilsson who's apparently fully healthy so I'd imagine one of them will, well obviously one of them will get the job as the backup and hopefully they'll be smart and not you know run Murray into the ground because why should they like one of these goalies might even be better than Matt Murray at this point but obviously the contract's don't indicate that, Brian. And you know, you, you made me just have a walk down memory lane. Uh, Ottawa's had a bit of a history over the years of bringing in these former All Star goalies, like later in their career. If you recall, they signed Dominic Hasek. Uh They had Tom Barrasso, yeah. I remember, at one point. So I guess add Matt Murray to the list. Oh, another former Penguin. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, hopefully he'll play more games than Tom Barrasso did. I think Tom Barrasso played like uh, like lost one six game series and was just grumpy. The entire time is what the media essentially reported. He was just, like, sour about everything.
0: Well, because he blew it, and everyone hated him. So I would be grumpy, too. Like, we brought him in. We thought that he was going to be, like, our savior and finally help us beat the Leafs in a playoff series. And then, they like, what did they get swept? That was it. Uh,
1: No, they lost in seven games, but Tom Barrasso had an 879. Oh, no. Sorry, that was the regular season. They did lose in six games, so my memory was good there. He had a nine oh five save percentage in that series.
0: Get at it. Tom Barasshole, more like. That's what I remember One of my friends. We thought we were so funny when we <laughs> cute, when we coined that. Uh, by the way, Brian, I guess I will say there it might be a sneaky play to grab whoever does win the job as the backup in Ottawa, because Matt Murray's injury prone, like we've said, like, I I would be a little bit concerned that either he's not good anymore, or he's going to get injured. And that means an Anders Nilsson or Marcus Hogberg, I guess then they just become as valuable as they would have been before this acquisition, which is probably not that much. But something to keep in mind that there will be another goalie there. And I don't have full confidence in Murray, but I'm not saying I don't have any confidence, right? Like, clearly, he has had a big pedigree, and he's had a lot of success. So, it's totally possible that he ends up going back to his former ways, and he really helps his Ottawa Senators team go. You know, this team, by the way, like you said, Brian, they might still struggle next year, but they do have like this like great group of prospects that you know, two three years from now, they're going to be like bloated. It's going to be hard for them to keep some... Like, you know, they're only going to have six spots in the top six, and it'll be hard for everyone to get in there. And we'll be like, oh man, why isn't Drake Batherson getting in the top six? And so that'll be fun in a couple years, and we'll just have to see how things go. Until then. In the meantime, uh, the Sens have found other ways to get to the cap floor, I guess. They acquired Eric Goodbranson from the Ducks. Uh, They got Austin Watson from the Preds, both for late picks. Uh, One player that they didn't want to risk spending a lot of money on was Anthony Duclair, who they decided not to qualify. So he's a UFA right now, still unsigned as of this recording. If you recall, Duclair... Duke, as we started calling him, because he was, like, so exciting. And we he so excited that we were giving him a nickname on the podcast. Well, I, I guess we didn't coin the name. So I don't even know what I'm talking about here. But Duclair had that great start to the year. Well, actually, a quiet start. But then, like, November and December, he was huge. He had, like, 11 goals just in December. Ends up making the All-Star game. Then he, like, totally fizzled out in the second half. And so now at this point, he like I said, he was a pending RFA. The sense didn't qualify him. And Brian, I remember on our Discord group, you were talking about how you were very unhappy with this, with this decision not to qualify Duclair. Obviously, the reason they gave was that they didn't want to risk going to arbitration and have him get a big contract. So, you know, I mean, I feel like the big question is, who is the real Anthony Duclair, right? And then that's how you decide if this is a smart deal or not. Because if you think that the real Anthony Duclair is pre-All-Star Game Duclair, who had 21 goals and 33 points in 47 games, they may but they probably shouldn't have let him go but again like i said he ended the season with only seven points in 19 games so uh yeah Brian, i'm just curious if you have any interesting thoughts to share about their decision not to you know qualify him and let him go to free agency
1: again i'm just confused about what ottawa's philosophy is here everybody has their guiding principles right uh, what you're trying to do as a team and it just feels like several pieces don't add up For the Ottawa Senators, like the maximum that the Senators would have had to commit to Anthony Duclair would have been a four and a half million dollar contract. It would have been a one year deal if he was awarded more than that in arbitration. They could have walked away, but they didn't even want to take what seems like a pretty low risk gamble on having someone who has some goal scoring upside added to their top six uh, winger cadre like look at their top six wingers right now you've got Artem Nizimov in there Connor Brown Drake Batherson like you said Elon I'm excited about him but Anthony Duclair we saw him do something great in the first opportunity he's had in forever in the NHL and yeah he fell off and yeah we were never really sure why and yes of course some of his production was not sustainable but it you know 20 goal scorers don't grow on trees so when you have an inside track at keeping one on your team and you're still 7 million dollars below the salary cap floor like you're going to have to spend your money somewhere aside from Matt Murray so now the sense of let Borowiecki and Anthony Duclair walk who were honestly two of the more popular players in Ottawa over the last season it just feels feels very weird it feels like there's there's more behind them walking than just not wanting to pay them a reasonable amount and uh and I'm not sure what it is so it's really hard to understand the direction a certain team is going when they're making decisions like this
0: yeah so uh I don't know. I have no response. I agree with everything you're saying. Like, I guess I didn't... So they could have walked away, but either way, like, they needed to still make it to the cap floor, so why not? But also, obviously, the counter-argument is just that maybe the coaching staff told him, yeah, we're not so... Like, you know, he had a lucky month with a high shooting percentage, and overall, we actually weren't so happy with him on the team. But either way, uh, hopefully... Anthony Duclair will now... I'm sure he'll get... Like, some team's going to sign him, right? As a UFA, for sure, after such a great season overall. And he'll get yet another chance to prove himself because he's kind of bumped, bounced around the league a little bit. But maybe someone will decide that what they saw was enough and they'll give him a long-term contract. And I think that would be great because, yeah, he at least for a couple months, he was looking like a superstar. So we'll see if a team uh, believes in him. I guess now let's go to Pittsburgh, the team that traded away Matt Murray. So obviously they're now going all-in on 25-year-old Tristan Jari, who played 33 games last year? He had a 9.21 save percentage. They extended him, by the way. I think a three three year contract. So Jari is now the starting goalie. Uh, they also have Casey DeSmith. I remember a couple of years ago was Jari in the minors and Casey DeSmith backing up Matt Murray. Uh, DeSmith wasn't great last year. He had a 9.05 save percentage in 41 games for Wilkes-Barre Scranton in the AHL. Uh, he's also like 30 years old. I didn't realize. I thought Casey DeSmith was younger, but no. Jari is 25. DeSmith is 30. So cl- I think it's like pretty clear that Jari is the starter. And you know, I, going into the season, we were already excited about Jari now like how high up in the fantasy goalie rankings does jari jump now that we know he's like the for sure starter doesn't even have to compete with matt murray at all like uh is he like potentially like a top five top 10 goalie when we're drafting goalies next year
1: oh i don't know i'm a little concerned about the direction pittsburgh is going i haven't liked several of the moves that, that jim rutherford has made lately both in trying to stock up for the playoff run i mean the fact that they were bounced by Montreal, like a non-playoff team, is a is a red flag to me. And Tristan Jari, uh, even with a 921 save percentage last year, I didn't find him terribly impressive. The measure that I was using to uh, measure Corey Crawford's success and Mackenzie Blackwood's success, in that measure, Tristan Jari would be considered exactly uh, like an average goalie in the NHL, like not really any better than most goalies, but also not worse than most goalies. The other guy who had exactly a zero Delta Fenwick save percentage last year, which means like it pretty much performed exactly up to expectation, is uh, Peter Mrazek. And what do we think of him? We think of him as, as someone who has good upside, but is inconsistent and not necessarily someone reliable. So I guess we'll see what next year brings for Tristan Jari. It sounds like you're really high on him, Ilan, and you must be because you remember those high highs he had last season, but do you remember Jari's low lows? He was just an 899 goalie over the last 12 games of the season, and he only played 33, so that's like a third of his season right there. He was an 899 goalie. Um, Mind you, I'm not saying the Penguins made the wrong choice. Interest in Jari is still a developing option, still young, as good a bet as any of the goalies available in Pittsburgh. But for the record, Matt Murray is essentially... Uh, has been a better goalie over the last four years than Tristan Jari has been over his short career. Um, so I, like, But there's a money thing going on there, too. And I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just sort of revisiting my Ottawa analysis, saying that Matt Murray hopefully is an average goalie, at least for Ottawa. But going back to Jari and the Penguins, I don't know, Elon. I'm, okay. not, I'm not as optimistic as I feel like I should be no. able to be about a team with Crosby and Malkin. I mean, no, for
0: sure. And by the way, I was just asking the question. I wasn't saying that I think of him as like a fi- top five, top ten. Honestly, I feel like we have to think about it and we'll spend a lot of time thinking about it and still get it wrong because it's hard to predict. But I'm just saying like in terms of, you know, the NHL doesn't have that many starting goalies, like or at least not as many as they used to, right? We talked about that on, uh, I guess, our last show with Ben. Like now there's a lot of tandems. And I think here we've got Jari as like the sure starter on the team and the Penguins, I think still should be a good team. We'll talk about some of their players that they've acquired in just a second. Uh, but... um Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just uh, think he obviously has the upside, but he has to play well. He has to earn it. So he's in a good spot. He had a good overall season last year. Like you said, Brian, maybe a little inconsistent. So now we'll see if he's able to handle the job. And he's got the opportunity. Now he just has to run with it. Uh, He'll be playing, by the way, in front of a bit of a new look D next year. So Justin Schultz left to Washington. Uh, Jack Johnson is gone, which apparently a lot of people say is a huge win for the Penguins. So he's gone to the Rangers. He was bought out, by the way. Uh, Then we have Mike Matheson, who came in from a trade with the Florida Panthers for Patrick Horkvist. So we've got Schultz and Johnson out. we got Mike Matheson in. Uh, I don't know if that helps or or hurts. Like, Matheson had a bad year with the Panthers last year. His ice time plummeted. He was benched in the playing round. So he was like, you know, no value added to the Panthers. Obviously, the Penguins. Are unfazed by what they saw last year from Mike Matheson because they took on the remaining six years of his $4.875 million AAV contract. So I would think at the very least Matheson's gonna get an opportunity to produce because the Penguins are gonna wanna try to make this trade look good. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like overall, maybe we could talk about if this is helpful or hurts their decor and makes Tristan Jari's job a little easier. And then also, just in terms of fantasy value, Mike Matheson. Do you think, like, Justin Schultz was someone who was sometimes getting top power play time? Like, he was getting opportunities when either Latang was hurt and sometimes even when Latang wasn't hurt. Uh, so do you think Mike Matheson might be able to step in and, like, be a valuable fantasy contributor like we once thought he could be, like, two, three years ago? Or will he have to, like, also wait in line behind John Marino now whenever Latang gets bumped? So really, it's like Matheson's a depth guy, but not someone that we could depend on to produce a lot in fantasy.
1: You say whenever Latang gets bumped, and there's been a lot of reason to believe he's going to get bummed, but especially uh, with the market being as weird as it is right now with so many NHL teams not wanting to commit cash uh, and not wanting to take on any more salary, then I guess those are the same thing. But. I don't know if another team is going to be willing to take on Chris Letang, so I, it might be premature to start thinking about what Matheson or Marino might be able to do in a, in a power play position. Matheson, for what it's worth, had a spell when he came into the league where he was a big shooter, uh, which was a lot of fun to watch. And we thought that he should be the top power play guy over Aaron Eckblad, because yes, this podcast is that old, but uh, that never really came to fruition. And then remember, he was the one who hit a Eli- lot. I think it was Elias Pettersson with that really dirty hit uh was it this past season or the one before it in any case i just think of him as a goon now because of that moment which isn't fair I guess entirely. So let's see what Matheson can do if he is given an offensive opportunity, but John Marino is still like this hipster pick where you can be like, "Oh yeah, I know who John Marino is," uh, and and he's going to have a really good year and I'm going to bet on it. And then if you get if you get it right, you look brilliant. If you get it wrong, everyone will forget it. So uh, that that's what makes John Marino a fun fantasy own. I don't know who wins this hypothetical face-off between Marino and Matheson. Uh, and it's hypothetical only because Latang is still very much in the picture.
0: Yeah, well, you said that maybe he won't get bumped, but he might get bumped in terms of like a player bumps into him and then he's injured for a while. So that's another reason why sometimes he's out of the lineup and one of these other guys will get a shot. Brian, by the way, I'm that hipster who took Marino actually in a Dynasty League draft and I got a lot of chirping from people that said that uh, Mathieu and I took him way too early. But I was reading all these articles about how like John Marino is like this amazing defenseman and he's like, you know, the best one on the Penguins and he's going to be the one that they built their defense around so but maybe that's more of just like good in real life and not in fantasy so we'll have to wait and see i guess matheson poses Somewhat of a threat, but my understanding is that John Marino is the higher ranked guy. And by the way, that guy I mentioned before, Joel Blomqvist, who Pittsburgh got with the pick that they got from Ottawa in the Matt Murray trade, he's a goalie. I just realized. And actually, uh, PJ just posted in the chat here the Penguins let Murray go, then draft a goalie so they can let Jari go in four years and draft another goalie. So maybe this is just a cycle that the Penguins will continue after a while. And hey, you know. They won cups before. Uh, The window is closing, and we'll see if they have it open still enough. Uh, They do have a good-looking forward core, right? Like, Hornqvist is gone. But if anything, to me, that just, like, makes the top six kind of easy to project. Like, we know. They've got Crosby, Malkin, Gansel, Rust, Zucker, and Kapanen. Those are the top six and we'll see what the configuration is, but hopefully we'll have no more of this trying to guess like, oh, well Dominic Simone, by the way, got like bought out. So he's not coming back. So there's not going to be any more like, oh, this random guy just got on the top line with Crosby. Should everyone be grabbing him? I think barring injury, we've got our top six locked in. And then we'll just debate on the podcast about if you should be grabbing the guy who's taken that fourth forward spot on the power play. It'll be Rust, Zucker, or Kapanen. I guess all fighting for that fourth forward spot with Crosby, Malkin, and Gensel. Uh, So, yeah, things are a little more straightforward in Pittsburgh anyways. And it sounds like you're not too confident in them after they lost to Montreal in the playing round. I feel like, I don't know, I wouldn't read too much into that. But, you know, their uh, core players are a little bit older and that's uh, obviously a concern. But Jake Gensel's a year older, too, and maybe he's, like, entering his true prime. Maybe last year was just a taste of what his prime was. Don't forget, Gensel got injured for a while. Anyways, I'm blabbering on here. Let's move on from Pittsburgh. Let's go to the team that Patrick Horkfist has joined, the Florida Panthers, and you know Hornfist may actually find himself in a very good spot, you know, compared to in Pittsburgh where we had like a potential top six with Hornfist on the outside looking in. Now, like Hoffman and Dadanov, as of now Sunday night, they're still both unsigned. So maybe we should wait to cover Florida more in depth, like next time when we know what happens with Dadanov and Hoffman. Who knows? Maybe they end up bringing them back. But there's an opening right now for Hornfist to play with like Barkov and Huberdo on the top line as well as on the top power play, and that would be pretty sweet. And you know, it's a kind of situation like Detroit, right? If he's not on the top line. We might be looking at a team where the drop-off is very steep, like the line to center, if they don't... Well, Dadenov and Hoffen aren't even centers, right? Like, they traded Trocek. Like, I think their second line center right now is Achiari or Wenberg, who they just got from Columbus. I guess Columbus bought out Wenberg, and then they got him. So I don't know. So it's like, maybe Hornfist plays with Barkov, and that's amazing. Or maybe he plays with Wenberg or Achiari, and, uh, you know, he's totally fantasy irrelevant unless your league counts hits and maybe some shots
1: yeah for sure I, I'm actually gonna just say we should wait to really get into Florida there seems to be hopefully some pieces still to fall for the Panthers uh, but in the meantime Horn- the only place to be in Florida is on the top line so we'll see what happens with Hoffman and Dadanov. I, I did see a tweet from a source I, I think I trusted because I have cataloged it in my brain that Dadanov could just circle back to Florida and I imagine that would knock Horvitz off the top line and into the second line of nothing this right now so let's see what happens before really going too deep on what the fantasy implications are for hornquist moving to florida
0: yeah but another guy that maybe will be a good sleeper pick add him to the list of people who theoretically they could land in a really good spot like if he's if he's playing with barkov that's huge
1: Sure. That's a seems like a big if at this point.
0: Well, not not if they can't sign Dadenov or Hoffman. Then who else is going to play there? I guess Owen Tippett is ready to come and play on the top line. I don't so know. So if
1: they if they don't sign Dadenov or Hoffman, they still have almost twelve million dollars in cap space, and most mm-hmm. of their yeah. most of their like everybody's signed pretty much except for one forward and one defenseman. So I like <laughs> it, it seems like they have money to acquire somebody to take the place of Hoffman and Dadnov rather than just letting them walk.
0: Yeah, well, Taylor Hall signed. And uh, I don't know, you tell me <laughs> another forward that's out there that's as good. But yeah, maybe Hoffman and Dadinov have nowhere else to go themselves. So we'll talk about Florida some more maybe on a future episode. Uh, so like I said, Florida signed Alex Wenberg after he was put on unconditional waivers by the Blue Jackets. But that wasn't the only thing Columbus did as they made a very noteworthy move in signing Miko Koivu to be their third line center. Brian! You love Miko Koivu. What a huge move. Okay, I'm kidding. That That is something they did, but obviously they did a bigger thing uh, in the last couple of weeks, which was they made a blockbuster trade. They, they sent Josh Anderson to the Habs for Max Domi and a third round pick, and then Domi signed a two-year, $10.6 million deal with Columbus, where he'll hope to recapture the magic of his 72-point season just two years ago, in 2018-19, which seemed to fade away only a 51-point pace in 2019-20. So Domi's had a bit of a fall, but you'd think now, he seems to have a pretty nice fit potentially in Columbus because in Montreal he wanted to be a center and the Habs had no room for him there they have Dino Suzuki Kakaniemi like there wasn't really a spot for Domi to be a center on that team unless he's like the fourth line center which he was I believe for some of those playoff games uh, but Columbus definitely does not have the same depth at center. They have Dubois and then basically no one else. So I think Domi slots in very nicely as the second line center, which means he could probably end up with some very decent line mates. Like say we go Dubois, Bjorkstrand and Texier like they were doing in the playoffs. And then that leaves Domi to play with Atkinson and Nyquist. So not too bad. You've got Jenner and Foligno when things get shuffled around. But yeah, plus there's the top power play, which maybe will be available for Domi. We'll have to wait and see. But overall, how do you like Columbus as a landing spot for Domi? As someone who wanted to play center i feel like he couldn't have found a better spot because he has i think no competition for that line 2c spot
1: no he has none and beyond looking at the impact this is gonna have on max domi this is just great news for anyone who lands on the second line. Columbus was running Boone Jenner as their second most played centerman last year, followed by Alex Wenberg. And we talked about guys who weren't getting to play with Pierre-Luc Dupois, so guys like Cam Atkinson at times, Texier, uh, I'll throw Nick Felino too, really had no chance to put up numbers. Because there was no one to put up numbers with, because they weren't playing, where well, they weren't the two lucky wingers playing with Pierre Luc Dubois. Having Max Domi on the depth chart is going to help solve that. And also, Columbus is still clearing out salary, right? They just cleared over seven million dollars of cap space by moving Ryan Murray and Marcus Nutivara. Uh, they're now thirteen million dollars under the cap. So I'm curious to see. Uh, if they're not done, if they still might do some uh, some adding, uh, and that, of course, could help Domi, who is a really good creator. Uh, he's not a great defensive player, so that might drive Tortorella crazy, and we'll see exactly how that works, or uh, it's going to be really good for him to be part of a very defensive system. Uh, we'll see which, which side wins out there. But uh, I, I'm excited to see somebody on the second line have a chance at producing that's not death to be off the top line or fantasy irrelevant uh, of course i i'm optimistic that maybe columbus is clearing cap space to do something they also might be clearing cap space because they're on like some kind of internal pandemic budget too so i'm not uh, i don't want to be stoking any rumors here i'm just curious like uh, like we just talked about for Florida, I'm curious to see what they're going to do with the cap space they have. Like you said, it's not like there are a ton of options beyond Hoffman and Dadinov that are just sitting around right now.
0: Yeah, well, there's Alex Petrangelo, who is still available. obviously Obviously, like, Columbus is one team that doesn't need him. They have two great defensemen already in Jones and Wierenski. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's the kind of thing where like Domi is in a good spot in terms of like they need him there, and he'll probably do well and doesn't have to worry about getting bumped though I guess with Tortorello you never know uh, in terms of fantasy you are right that Columbus isn't like the highest scoring team so maybe this is like better more for his line mates and maybe he will just land as like a 50-60 point guy and maybe never get back to that 72 point season he had in Montreal where I remember Brian you were skeptical he'd be able to do it again just because he rode some high variances uh, so we'll have to see like Domi definitely fantasy relevant now as opposed to when he was in Montreal like if he never got traded I feel like going into next season we would be like potentially not even drafting Domi considering how he was you know in the bottom six in the playoffs so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out by the way back to our Florida conversation quickly um Alex wanted me to mention and obviously a big overlook that we've got they've got a guy named Grigory Denisenko who they drafted in the first round 15th overall in 2018 he's a center so maybe he's someone that Hornquist could play with if he's going to have his rookie season maybe he'll be ready to come in and be like a second line center so they don't have to rely on Alex Wenberg and then of course on Columbus now they also have a good third line center and Miko Koivu who no fantasy relevance but this is a team that probably should be spending to the cap because it seems to me like a team that can contend like they were great last year and now they've Brought in Max Domi. Remember, Josh Anderson was injured. So he basically just brought in a player who, and not replacing anybody. So it's just great. Like this team could hopefully get even better than they were before. Hopefully they won't have as many injuries as they had last year because that really hurt them a lot in the regular season. Okay. So that's Columbus. Let's go to the other side of that trade where we ha- are going to talk about another crazy contract here. And Brian, maybe you could decide if Ottawa or Montreal signed the crazier contract because the Habs get Josh Anderson and then Twitter loses it when news comes out that Anderson signed a seven-year, $5.5 million per year contract. A lot of people were thinking that maybe Bergevin has lost it a little bit. It's a lot of term for a guy who just missed pretty much a, a big chunk of last season after his shoulder needed to be surgically repaired. So we have no idea if this guy's ever going to get back to the shape he was in before this injury. But obviously the Habs liked what they saw when Anderson popped 27 goals and 47 points just two seasons ago, 2018-19. Just like his fantasy managers obviously enjoyed uh, Josh Anderson because he was amazing because he had that 47-point season, 20, 27 goals, along with a like, huge shot and hit numbers. So in your multi-category leagues, he was money for you. Uh, but as far as the Habs go, they've got this guy who seems like a really solid player and a winger that they could use to really shore up their depth. And they replaced Domi who wanted to play center. and They didn't have room for him. So it seems like a good fit, but like that's a crazy term, right? So are you in the camp of Bergevin has lost his mind or do you think he knows what he's doing?
1: It feels like every time I say Mark Bergevin has lost his mind, uh, everything just falls into place for him. Either he's a genius or he's really lucky, uh, looking back at the Subban and Weber trade specifically, although you look at the, the durant Sergachev trade and that hasn't turned out. So anyway, uh, this is just another uh, I, one thing about Bergevin is at least he gives us things to talk about. I don't love this term, especially now. Like You look at what everybody else is signing for, that number for Josh Anderson, just just feels like uh too much especially for that long but i guess there was something about his game that mark bergevin really loved and why not right mark uh, josh anderson seems to be a player who fits really well on what i always call them this horizontal team where it's like this very flat landscape of scoring there's no star there's no real uh, drain either you've just got a a, a bunch of nine solid players who each do their jobs and can each get like 50-ish points and have some grit and defense along the way seems like a good fit for a Claude Julian team but I'm not expecting like Elon you were expecting a big breakout last season or you were hoping for it after he put up 47 points the year before and I was saying that was a great season he did find this other gear as a power forward but I still don't know his upside is is So far, his scoring upside is so far beyond those 47 points. So that's still where I sit, especially with him going to Montreal, where there really isn't, it doesn't feel like there's potential for anyone to really break through who's not Mm. just like this naturally gifted scorer. And that's not a category Josh Anderson falls into. Keep in mind, he's also coming off this long injury where like he was rumored to be coming back and it not coming back and then being shut down entirely. Uh, it's been a really weird road over the last year for Josh Anderson. So we'll see how that translates to him getting back in the game uh, and and having long-lasting health. If he can stay healthy, I think this contract's an okay bet. But in terms of fantasy, unless you're in a hits league, uh, and you know his shots are obviously worth something too, uh, I'm not so... Uh, so tantalized by his fantasy prospects. Wow.
0: Brian, I I think I strongly disagree. This may be one of our first big disagreements. I think that, yeah, this contract is really long, and I definitely agree with you about the part of, like, this is a big risk to take on someone who's just coming off a major injury. Uh, but I think in terms of fantasy value for next year, like the Habs just locked this guy in for seven year contract, not to bury him, right? I think we're going to be looking at a top six with like let's say Deno Tatar Gallagher for next year, and then Anderson plays with Suzuki, maybe that like their top player to play with, and like maybe Drewen for a really solid second line, or maybe you shake those guys around. But I think Anderson's gonna be playing with really good players, and like you know he's great for shots, he's great for hits, and I think he's like got fifty points plus upside like again for context the reason why i expected that breakout in columbus last year was because he was behind artemi panarin the year before and so i thought with panarin moving on to the rangers that opened a top line spot to potentially play with dubois and atkinson and obviously that didn't exactly work out and who knows if like he played a bunch of games and did nothing but then he ended up leaving because of the shoulder injury so who knows how much the shoulder was bothering him before he left so I, i'm just gonna like call last season a wash and yeah i'm high on him again in montreal just like i don't Know, maybe you it's like a mistake at least be
1: concerned about his health oh
0: yeah i'm concerned about the health so i'm saying like i think they're gonna put him in like you know like opportunity is king i feel like they're gonna give him an opportunity to succeed and oh, i i really also, like what i saw a couple of years ago
1: also what what is that opportunity worth in montreal like what's the highest point total that a montreal canadians player can get the way they play maybe
0: 60 55 60 points
1: yeah and is that person going to be josh anderson
0: i think it could be a few people like uh, and also don't forget that Nick Suzuki, like Nick really, he's great.
1: Yeah. I just see it as being like probably uh, uh-huh. Suzuki probably too soon. But you've got Gallagher and I don't know. He's the only he's the one I'd bet on having the, the best points total. Well, Tatara right now is he led the team in points last year. But anyway, uh, yeah, like but he's the, he, but he's but he's not long for the Habs. They've been no, trying I'm to talking trade about him for a little while.
0: Wait, I'm talking about next year, which by the way means like potentially. Uh, if Tatar leaves, that just means... Anderson gets an even better centerman potentially. Maybe that means he gets to be locked in with Suzuki long-term. Like, I think that's, the, that's my best case, right? Like, I think Suzuki changes the... Like, this is, again, like, I'm not saying this is for sure going to happen, but, like, pie in the sky, Suzuki changes your feeling of how Montreal is offensively. Like, we're just two years ago, right, where Max Domi got 72 points. Like, you can't just say because last year they, you know, spread around the offense and no one was, like, a big superstar. That means like that's going to be like that forever. Like, I think that there's a lot of upside for Suzuki, and I think if Anderson could be beside him, Could be great. You're right. It could not be great. But he's the kind of guy that you grab in fantasy because even if he only gets 45 points, if you're in a multi-category league, he's helping you in so many other places that you don't even need him to give you as many points to help you out. So I'm into him. Uh, and I guess obviously we'll see what happens, but yeah, obviously the big caveat is his health, and also, yeah, I also definitely agree with Twitter that this is a very risky contract. Like, 5.5 million per year isn't, like, a crazy amount, but it's definitely not nothing, and seven years is a long time. He's already 26 years old. That'll take him into, like, 31, 32. So, yeah, if he wasn't injured last year, I'd say maybe it makes sense, but I don't see why they needed to sign him for that long. Like, I'm sure i don't know like they, they already had traded for him I, I assumed he would have signed i wonder if like the has were happy to like lock him in long term or if like anderson was like asking for it and they just like weren't able to agree on anything less but
1: <laughs> yeah this this feels very matt murray-ish right it's yeah. it's like okay the the acquisition made sense but the contract after that just seems seems like a swing
0: yeah. Also, by the way, I will say in terms of the power play, which is obviously another big thing in fantasy, Montreal is one of those teams that has like two even power plays. That's what they've done for a while, right? They usually like both units play around 50% of the time. So, you know, uh, we had a question here in the chat. Stephen said, or no, it was Adam that asked Anderson probably doesn't get a lot of power play time. I disagree. I think he gets around 50% of the power play time. Like he'll be on one of the power play units, I assume. And... We'll see if that unit does well. Uh, So that's my prediction, but obviously things could change next season. Uh, Then what else did Montreal do? They haven't done that much. Aside from that, they did get Joel Edmondson, who we talked about on our last show or a couple shows ago when they signed him after trading for his rights from Carolina. And Joel Edmondson used to play for the St. Louis Blues and the St. Louis Blues have actually signed a big money D man themselves. They signed Tory Krug to a 7-year so another 7-year contract, uh, a bit more money, a 45.5 million dollar deal. So 6.5 million AAV, so actually only 1 more million per year than Josh Anderson and yeah that's actually the exact same contract also that Justin Falk has like Justin Falk is also going to be on the Blues for the next seven years at 6.5 million per year so obviously the Blues are hoping that Krug will work out a little bit better than Falk has so far and the biggest consequence of this is that Alex Petrangelo won't be coming back because and apparently Petrangelo was like surprised by this signing he thought that maybe they were making some headway and the Blues decided you know what forget it we're just going to get Krug and apparently Krug was like super happy with this opportunity because he wasn't having good talks with Boston so I guess Krug the blues are happy i don't know about petrangelo uh but krug obviously in terms of fantasy i think this is very straightforward right he jumps into petrangelo's top power play spot I don't see who else would do it. I guess we were talking before on a previous episode when we heard the news that Petrangelo might not resign with St. Louis. We started talking about the Vince Duns and the Colton Parekos. i got to imagine Krug gets first crack. And, you know, Petrangelo had 22 power play points last season, 52 points overall. Krug got 28 power play points last year. So I guess, you know, you have to decide, is it like Krug is better on the power play so he'll get more points? Or maybe Boston is just like a higher, like a better power play to be on so then Krug will get fewer points? But probably, I would guess it all evens out. And Krug's probably once again going to be like around a 55 60 point guy with a ton of power play points and great guy to have in fantasy.
1: Yeah, much like I've gone on about David Krejci being one of the more underappreciated uh, centerman in the league over the last 10 years not getting the love he should for all he's done for Boston I say the same thing about Tory Krug he is a super reliable high-end power play quarterback and he's got a great unit to work with in St. Louis he won't provide the same defensive coverage that Alex Petrangelo has been able to and he won't play the same number of minutes but I still expect him to have about the same opportunity to put up points in St. Louis as he does in Boston so I think that's good for him I also think that's good for the people around him on that power play. You're not suddenly looking to Vince Dunn or Elon. We were talking recently about Colton Pareko being the guy who steps in. Uh, You have somebody legit, proven, ready to just step right up on that top unit and uh, keep things clicking as good as they can possibly click in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, obviously, like, you can't compare Krug and Petrangelo in terms of, like, the full picture, because, like, Petrangelo plays, like, those huge minutes that Krug doesn't, and my sense is he's a lot better defensively, but I think in terms of fantasy, Krug is going to be great, like, just as great, I think as where we're landing here, and Petrangelo, we'll have to see, because we don't know where he is going, the rumor is he's going to Vegas, and... I'll just give you my quick take that I would imagine Shea Theodore holds the top power play, and Petrangelo still plays those big even strength minutes. And apparently, Nate Schmidt is someone that Vegas is going to like have to trade to make room for Petrangelo. So you know, Petrangelo just walks right into Nate Schmidt's minutes, and like I don't know. So we'll talk about that later. I wouldn't be too worried though. Like if this trade happens before our next episode or signing, uh, I wouldn't be like right away trading away Shea Theodore because I'm nervous that he won't be able to put up the points. Yeah. Like fit- also,
1: you're like you're, you're. I think you're getting ahead of yourself. Of course. Like I think the reason. We have like also, once Krug was signed in St. Louis, there was like, uh, I think their their GM, I think it was their GM, came straight out and was like, this doesn't mean we're not still working to try and get Petrangelo Come on. on the roster. No, I hear you. But honestly, the fact that it's taking this long for anything to happen for Petrangelo uh, makes me wonder like, how many options are still in play? Or just how screwed the team that wants to acquire him is in trying to clear the cap space. Like, maybe the whole league knows it's Vegas, and they need to clear some salaries still, like Nate Schmidt, and nobody wants to make it easy for them.
0: Yeah, it's true. So, we'll wait and see. So, I just wanted to drop a quick take. Just, I don't want the Shea Theater owners to be upset, okay? So, that's all I wanted to say about that. But yeah, good news for Krug. Also, good news for whoever takes his, like, really valuable top power play spot on Boston. In terms of production, that's been such a great place to be. Obviously, playing with the big three of Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron, and someone, usually Jake DeBrusque, maybe now it'll be Craig Smith. Probably not, but Boston signed Craig Smith. But obviously the big impact on Boston is you'd imagine it's uh, Charlie McAvoy's time now. Like, Unless they get <laughs> Petrangelo, then they're going to have Charlie McAvoy probably manning the top power play. Like, It is kind of weird, though, since when Krug was injured before, it was Nate, uh, Matt Grislyk who manned the top power play last season for short stretches. Grizlick, though, was a UFA. My understanding is he hasn't signed yet. I haven't checked most recently. Maybe I just missed the Grislyk signing news because maybe that wouldn't be huge news, but got to imagine you get rid of krug or you lose krug you got to give mcavoy a shot and so i think his fantasy value like surges upwards next year like i feel like you'd be crazy to say that he wouldn't benefit in a huge way by being able to continue with all the even strength production that he's been giving and now also add like 20 power play points to whatever totals he's been putting up already
1: totally well said
0: All right, so that's that. And you know what, Brian? It's been a couple hours of show, so I think we're going to have to save some, like, the big thing we haven't covered yet, aside from the draft, like I said, we're going to do a whole episode about the draft and talk about all the people who were drafted, then we have all the goalies, right? We still haven't talked about all the goalie musical chairs. Have We dropped a couple of takes on like Crawford and uh, I don't know, a couple other people along the way, Matt Murray. But you know, we've got Markstrom to Calgary, Hudobin resigned in Dallas, Grice went to Detroit. Before Smith. you
1: just name them all, do you want to like name one? And then we can both just give a quick take on whether their fantasy value huh. goes up or down.
0: Are we like eating into our content for next episode?
1: This is very brief.
0: Okay. We're going to do a deeper dive next week. No rationales. No justifications. Just an up or down. Okay. Markstrom. Signs in Calgary. Six years. Six million per year. Same. Same fantasy value? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that it's like same or around the same for next year. But uh, over the years. Well, he's. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I agree with you. Same. I was thinking like, do we talk about Calgary or do we talk about the goalie?
1: Well, it's Both.
0: Oh, okay, well, I think Calgary obviously works out well for them in the short term, and then Markstrom is already in his 30s, so this might hurt them long term, but I guess that's the obvious take. Okay, Hudobin stays in Dallas because we don't have to give a big take there. That was obviously a great spot for him and for the Stars to have him playing with Bishop, right?
1: Yeah, what, am I, I like doing that, this wrong? <laughs> well, no. I like that you were the one concerned about about blowing our content for next episode. But you're like, and I was just like one word, and you're you're giving your full takes well, and go for it though. N- I I'm not a one
0: here. word guy, Brian. I gotta at least. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to say a word. Okay, I'll try to be brief. Okay, your turn. Grice to Detroit.
1: Uh, it, it obviously goes down. He's not on the best defensive team in the league anymore. and Detroit has has a lot of work to do. But I'm curious to see, like Jonathan Bernier. Did all right in Detroit last year. So let's see how Thomas Grice can do. I think this is going to be one of his first real big tests as a starter, which is a crazy thing to say about someone who is going into the 12th year of his career, but he's only ever played more than 40 games for the Islanders. And uh, as of late, he's just been doing it behind a a defensive powerhouse. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do on his very own in Detroit, because there are going to be lots of situations where he is left on his very own.
0: Yeah, like, hopefully they'll be smart and not, like, play him as a workhorse, because he's never done that before. Like, I guess Jonathan Bernier should be a capable backup 1B, since he was playing the bulk of the games last year. I feel like when, Brian, you say his value goes down, like, in terms of, like, save percentage and and wins, yes, uh, that goes down. But, like, saves... He'll probably play more because, like I say, he's a starter. So in some leagues, he might actually be more valuable because he can give you volume. So I guess it depends what you're looking for. Uh, okay, then we've got Smith to Edmonton we already discussed. Cam Talbot goes to Minnesota. Three years, $3.67 million per year. Before we get into the fantasy, good good for Cam Talbot, right? Because he was basically written off. Everyone thought he stunk after that year where he was bad in Edmonton That got traded to Philly and was bad there. He took, you know, I guess he also bet on himself last year going to Calgary and he did a great job. And now he gets a three-year deal. So kudos, Cam Talbot. And he goes to Minnesota, who we've talked about being the team that we're concerned about. So I'd imagine, I don't know. So what do you think?
1: It's hard to know because, uh, had a coaching change not so long ago the wild did right so bruce boudreau if he was still coaching i'd say okay this is a this is a fantasy value up scenario going to a team that has been one of the best at protecting their goalie we've talked a lot about that in terms of devin dubnik and uh that's not necessarily the situation he's walking into especially with ryan Souter being like this veteran minute muncher uh starting to tail off and not being able to take on as much responsibility while he's there. So I would say that Talbot's fancy value probably is pretty flat moving from Calgary to Minnesota, who I think is still capable of being a pretty good defensive team. You've got Jared Spurgeon there to still be your anchor. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it really helps him. I don't think it hurts him either.
0: Yeah. I wonder we still haven't heard what's going to happen with Matt Dumba. There was rumors that he'd get traded. That didn't happen. So maybe he's sticking around for at least another year. And yeah, Minnesota is an intriguing team now. Like they, by the way, we haven't talked much about this draft, but I do know that they drafted a center, Marco Rossi. Brian, remember we were like, who are they going to have at center? Now that they traded Eric Stahl. Then they traded Luke Kunin, who was the guy that we were discussing that I thought maybe he'd take over. Now he's gone to Nashville. But yeah, so maybe we're looking, by the way, at Marco Rossi as top line center next year, playing with Fiala and Kirill Kaprizov, who's another guy that some people might know, but this might be actually a really good spot. Like Kirill Kaprizov and Marco Rossi might be competing for the Calder next year. But anyways, that's for a separate episode. Uh, Crawford to New Jersey, we already discussed. Uh, Brian Elliott resigned with Philly. That's, that's no change, and that was already a while ago. Well, I already choose not to bring, chose not to bring that up a while ago, so I guess that's not something we have to dig into now. Uh, Devin Dubnik got traded to San Jose and the Wilder, retaining half of the salary. So yeah, we should say Minnesota has now Talbot and Staylock as their goalies, and then <laughs> San Jose has Mart- uh, Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik as their goalies. Two of the worst goalies lately, and now they're both going to be on the Sharks, so... I guess anything could happen but I can't imagine you're going to be too optimistic with what this means for Dublin and the Sharks.
1: No, I'm really concerned about that. I just don't know and I I meant I made this comment on Twitter that They, they ditched Alex Stalock and then Alex Stalock beat out Devin Dubnik for the job and then they bring in Devin Dubnik. (laughs) So like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, the whole, that, the progression that way. Uh, but what San Jose has been trying to do in net has not made sense for a long while now. So it's a, a really interesting play. I don't know if San Jose is planning on contending again next year. You'd think they would. Uh, they don't have much of a choice based on the age and stage of their players. That said, I was making the argument in our Discord server that their core is not strong enough to be a legit cup contender. So it doesn't even really matter what they do in net.
0: Well, well I guess they re-signed Kevin LeBanc today or yesterday. He's finally getting paid after taking that $1 million uh, contract last year. Now he's getting like four points something for the next four years. So I guess they, they paid him back handsomely, even though he wasn't that great last year. Uh, but yeah, San Jose, we'll have to see. I, I still feel like Eric Carlson... I love Eric Carlson, Brian. And I feel like he's still so good when perfectly healthy, that maybe he's the kind of guy that can carry a team, like how he carried the Sens to the Conference Finals. And, you know, never believe this, but he said that he's maybe healthy for the first time. Or someone said, I saw like a Roto World type post saying Eric Carlson is now finally like 100% healthy, like no concerns at all. And apparently he hasn't been like that at all since he came to San Jose. So who knows? That's my reason to still think that San Jose could be good. But also then I'll say, I don't think they'll be good because they have these crappy goalies and that's going to be a real problem for them. Uh, So... Holtby goes to Vancouver for four point three million a year for two years. Uh, so, what do you think about this for Holtby and for the Canucks?
1: I don't honestly. I, I don't like it for the Canucks. If I had four point three million dollars, I'd probably try and spend another seven hundred thousand and bring in Robin Lehner, or uh, like, or spend less and bring in Tomas Grice. Or spend a little, like a lot more in bring in, like a whole, trying to hold on to Jacob Markstrom. I guess they're looking for just a, a bridge guy to get them to Thatcher Demko slash Mikey Pietro time. Uh, but I'm not so optimistic that Holtby's going to be earning that money. I could totally see the Canucks just ending up going with Demco anyway and Holtby being a really expected, it's expensive 1B or backup option. He just has not looked good for a few years now.
0: Yeah, to me, it also like, doesn't make sense. Like, Hopi got a, you know, not as big money as we maybe would have expected him to get, like, uh, this time last year, but still, like, uh, 4.3 million for two years, and they already have Demco, who might be ready to be the starter. Why not spend a million less and get Grice or get Hudobin, someone who, like, could, you know, split time with Demko? Because I think Demko should be at least ready to split time. You don't need to pay starter money, but we'll see how it works out, and who knows, maybe Hopi. Maybe it's a good... You know, he clearly needs a fresh start. Like, things weren't working out in Washington. So as far as his fantasy value, I think it's good. Like, Vancouver's a good team and can't be worse than how things were going in Washington. So I'm interested for him. Like, if I owned Holtby in fantasy, I'd be, like, interested. Though at the same time, just like in Washington, where we had Ilya Samsonov chomping at the bit to steal starts, now we have Demko, who might even be a higher caliber prospect. So, well, uh, yeah. So maybe everything's the same in terms of Braden Holtby. Okay, uh, Leonard re-signs with Vegas. I guess we didn't discuss this yet. So yeah, that's good. We love it. We love Leonard on this podcast. Brian's obviously a huge Leonard fan. So Vegas and Leonard will hopefully make a happy home together. And we'll see if they could get rid of that Marc-Andre Fleury contract. Apparently they're trying and struggling to do that.
1: Yeah, and this is just another situation where, I, like I sort of referenced before about Petrangelo, I, I think teams are done doing Vegas any favors. So they might have to eat this Flurry contract, and they might have to pretend they like it. And that's the plan, which seems to be their most recent tack. But uh, I think regardless of whether Flurry is there or not, Lehner is their number one, and how they deployed their goalies in the playoffs speaks to that.
0: Yeah, okay. And then finally, we have Henrik Lundqvist goes to the Washington Capitals to replace Holtby. Obviously, I think the idea is that Samsonov is the starter now. It's a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Lundqvist will be the backup, and then Washington can figure out what to do from there. According to Henrik Lundqvist, I love this kind of quote. He's like, hey, I'm not coming to Washington to be, like, a mentor for Samsonov. Like, obviously, you know, he'll try to be a good teammate, but he wants to take the job. And I'm curious, actually, Brian, he's one I'm interested in because I feel like you and a chorus of, like, knowledgeable people on Twitter are always saying how, you know, Lundqvist has actually not been that bad. It's the Rangers who have played so poorly in front of him. So... You know, I some people believe that Lungfist is still good. Maybe not like peak Henrik Lungfist, but good enough to maybe compete with Ilya Samsonov for at least 50% of the starts in Washington. So I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. And obviously I'm talking about just for next year, like long-term Samsonov is the guy, but maybe for next year, Lungfist can challenge. A, I don't think so, but I know a lot of people seem to think so
1: totally I I would love to see Lundqvist get at least half the starts I think he's capable of of still being a 1A number one might be asking too much but I love the move uh, from New York to Washington for him that helps his fantasy value and yeah I would not resign him to being a 1B or number two I think it's going to be really fun watching you know the old guard in Lundqvist who can still play and the new guard in Samsonov who's about to prove he can play working together it's going to be, a, like, I would love to be Washington. And I think it's a really fun, it's just a fun move, especially trying to make the most of what's left of their window with Ovechkin and Backstrom. What more fun could you have than than trying to do that with Henrik Lundqvist, a divisional rival, suddenly showing up in your net and putting on a New Jersey for the first time in his career?
0: Yeah, they're a fun team. They did this with Kovalchuk also last year, and that was kind of fun. It didn't last long, unfortunately, for the Caps. but uh, hopefully next year they'll be able to go on a deeper run. Ryan, this was a blast. I didn't even think you'd be up for doing it. I loved your goalie idea at the end. We, we've definitely eaten into I don't think we have much more to say about these goalies, uh, but whatever. That's a future us problem. Present us has just finished, I think, a really fun episode. And obviously we still have more to come, you know, and, and we won't rush it, but there's still obviously going to be some more signings. And so we'll get back at you to recap. There's still also some signings that haven't happened yet. And there's signings that we haven't discussed yet that have happened. So, you know, we'll also- take the rest. Oh yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, we have a patron cast coming up. So uh, if you're a patron, which only costs you a dollar a month. So like, I look, money's important to all of us, but it doesn't get much more free than that. Uh, So for a dollar a month, you can get a bonus episode from us each month. Join our Discord server. Join our Facebook group. Uh, Ask all the questions you want in any format you want and get answers from Elon and I and uh, our amazing KK patron hive mind Uh, head on over to patreoncom slash keeping Carlson. And of course you'll get our first thoughts on whatever uh, free agent signings happen between now and I think our patron cast is on Wednesday
0: yeah Elon we haven't uh, even announced it yet Wednesday at eight thirty p.m. I'm gonna right. post it tonight on our discord and on our Facebook so if you're a patron uh, it's already there assuming yeah. you're not watching this live and, uh, yeah come join and us even,
1: yeah and even if there aren't new signings you might have questions about how uh, all these signings impact your fantasy team and this is your way to get like personalized advice and and ask Elon and I anything so please join us it'll be fun
0: yeah, plus you could sign up, pay a buck. Actually what what day is it today? It's October 11th. You could sign up. You and can sign up pay. now and never pay. You could be one of those people and, you know, I won't begrudge you, because give it a try. It's like a free trial. So you can sign up as a patron now. Come hang out for the Patreon cast. Hang on our Discord server, which, by the way, has been, like, a ton of fun. Like, on, on one hand, I'm a little worried that like, there's less activity on Facebook, but who cares, because we're having a lot of fun on Discord. So, by the way, if you're a patron and you're wondering, like, where did everyone go? Why is the Facebook group a little quieter? It's because we're all on Discord. And uh, check your Patreon. We've posted, or, like, ask us a question if you don't know how, to get in on there. It's free, and it's really fun. Uh, okay, so like Brian said keepingcarlson.com slash patron patroncast on Wednesday this is gonna be a blast uh Brian I had a great time breaking down all the deals I think for the most part we agreed on everything maybe I'm a little bit higher on Josh Anderson in fantasy than you but I feel and like and that's... Andreas Janssen. And Andres Janssen and well, Janssen I mean I'm not that high but maybe I'm a little higher than you so yeah I think I, I like when you, you and I agree I think then people can trust us a little more I think both of us also were as like unsure as we can be about goalies <laughs> like I don't think we've said anything that too strong that we're gonna have to eat our words for which is maybe good podcasting or bad podcast. Uh let us know what you think. If you like the show, this is like one of our first big shows in a while with actual new news to talk about. So if you haven't listened to us for a while and you've come back, thank you. And also get in touch at Keeping Carlson on Twitter uh, or, you know, like we've talked about in our Patreon community. Um, but with that, Brian, I guess it's time. Actually, Brian, do you mind if I just plug one more thing quickly?
1: I would love it. In fact, I've been waiting for you to do it this whole episode.
0: So guys, if you're uh, not tired of hearing my voice, then... Uh, maybe you'd be interested in listening to more of me because I've got a new podcast that I've been doing with a friend of mine Ryan Krieg who's a patron of Keeping Carlson really smart guy and we're doing a podcast all about hockey cards it's a new hobby that both of us has got have gotten into it's kind of like fantasy you're like you know just looking at players you think oh their card is cheap that's like you know the player's got low value and you think it's going to shoot up there's different metrics for what causes a player's rookie card to go up you know like the fact that Tyson Barry might be on a team with McDavid makes him like you know really really valuable just because, you know, that's a popular team. So it's like, but anyway, we're having a lot of fun talking about hockey cards, learning about this hobby, learning about how to be successful at it, you know, buy and sell. So it's all like fantasy. And yeah, so I think we've done a pretty good job. We've done three episodes so far. We've got another one that we're going to be doing live on Monday or no, Tuesday, Monday. I don't know. Okay. Well, follow us at Near Mint Hockey or look us up on your podcast app. It's called the Near Mint Hockey Card Podcast and yeah, i'd love to hear what you think about that too so i just wanted to throw a little shameless plug there about my other podcast but obviously my one true love is brian and keeping carlson and again once again i've had a blast here but let's take her home so let's cue the outro music and Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits
1: all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including potentially you uh, Logo art by Brandon Weeb, outro music by fans, Warp Tour alumnus Pat Broach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Prison Pool, Prospects, Natural Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, by the way, uh, just an amazing resource at this time of year and every time of year. They also have this great depth chart function, which is currently my favorite way to check a team's depth charts. Uh, that's Cap Friendly. Also, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospect, and Roto World.
0: Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to doing this again with you on our Patrecast on Wednesday. And then some other time for another regular episode. Uh, so, good night.
1: Or good morning, depending on what time you're listening. Until next time, remember, fantasy hockey is for everyone.